0: Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB At Bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only three ninety-nine per month.
2: Deep left field, it's gonna go. Alvarez
3: ties
0: the game. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
2: Good morning, everybody. Beautiful Saturday morning in the Delaware Valley. Man, I came in. I didn't. Even, I didn't even put on a coat. Well, your bra- sweatshirt,
4: and there we go. You're braver than I am. It was pretty cold this ah, morning.
2: It's beautiful out here. It's, the weather is beautiful. Life is beautiful. What's the complaint? Well, we got things. We'll find things well, uh, over the
4: next three hours, I think.
2: I imagine we will. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Macnow. Now delighted to be with you today. And, Mike, when I used to do these show with Ray Didinger, who, by the way, is going to uh, call in today because he wants to talk about Carl Weathers passing.
4: That's a rough one. It that, is. That is a rough Not Ray calling the passing of. Carl
2: Weathers. Yeah, I know. And we'll get to that in the 11 o'clock hour. But when I used to do the show with Ray, we had a tradition that we would open the show with five questions for Ray, in which basically I would take the agenda for the full day show and spend the first segment doing three or four minutes on each of the questions. So our audience would get a sense of what we're doing, what we're talking about, and I'd get a sense of what the hell Ray thought about these things. So today I want to do that with you. Five questions
4: for Mike. I like establishing a new tradition or continuing an old one. Whatever the case may be, I'm all about tradition. Let's do it. You are ready for this. I am ready.
2: All right. Well, number one is kind of obvious, which is... What the heck are the Sixers supposed to do about the Joel Embiid situation?
4: Uh, Short of taking him to Lourdes and having someone spritz holy water on his entire lower body? It's an option. Might be. Um... I have three words, Glenn. Ride it out. Mm. There's really nothing else that they can do. Look, Joel Embiid is the Sixers' best player since at least Allen Iverson. Mm. At least. You can make a case he's better than Iverson. He is as good or better than Charles Barkley. Dr. J., Probably not, but close. I mean,
2: we're talking about a player. We're verging towards sacrilege at this
4: point. <laughs> we're talking about a player who is statistically comparable in many respects to Wilt Chamberlain. I'm not saying he's as good as Wilt, he's not. But there are aspects. Uh, see, now
2: I've got to hear from Sonny.
4: Sonny <laughs> now, now I'm going to get the call from Sonny. Hill. I know, Here I know. Do me a favor. Let's start all
2: over. <laughs> what are the Sixers supposed to do about the Joel Embiid situation?
4: All right. The one thing you can't do is trade him because he's Yellow. that great. No. You, you cannot trade him. You don't move on from a player of his caliber. But here's the problem. As we all know, he can't stay healthy. Okay, I don't think that's his fault necessarily. Maybe earlier in his career he wasn't in the best of shape. But now at this point it's just kind of clear he gets injured a lot. Uh, for whatever reason, his body is built a certain way, whatever the case may be. But what that means for the Sixers is – you are unlikely to win a championship with him. But if you try, even if they wanted to trade him, you are not going to get back anything close to what his value is because a team is going to be hesitant to give you anything approaching his value because they're going to be afraid he gets hurt for them. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You're stuck. And I think that what they're going to have to do is ride this out. They're going to have to, and I include the fans in this as well, they're going to have to accept the astounding performances from Embiid when they happen. They're going to have to accept and cherish the victories, as, such, as, as many as the Sixers get. You're going to have to take pleasure in having an incredibly great player here, and you have to hope for the best. All right,
2: well, so there are options within. Do you Roger Clemens it? I mean, this year um, you, you can't. This year you just wait and put him on ice until the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Do you Roger Clemens him next year? Meaning Roger Clemens, when he would sign with the teams, would, like, skip April and May, and he'd come in in the summer, and you get 120 innings, and hopefully the postseason.
4: I'm not sure that Joel works. Embiid, 40 games, hello, see you in the playoffs. Number one, I'm not sure that's going to prevent him from getting injured. It may not. Number two, then you're talking about issues of continuity and Mm, assimilating him in 40 games into a season and all of that kind of stuff. All right. Uh, You know, that's part of the reason why I think the discussion about what the Sixers ought to do and what Daryl Morey ought to do at the trade deadline is kind of fraught. It's like, okay, you can make whatever move you're going to make to try to make the team better. If you don't have Embiid, what are we talking
2: about? One last thing, because we've got to cover five. So I just want your quick answer on this. and We'll get to this later. Do you believe that Joel Embiid felt a certain pressure to play? uh, It was the Golden State game where he got hurt Mm -hmm. uh, and played maybe a little bit hurt going in, which uh, increased the chances of the injury occurring.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, me too.
2: Me too. And and I think it's a tough situation. They set the 65-game limit for awards and stuff. And I understand the league wants its superstar players to play. It is not fair. I came— I live in Golden State. Oh my God, the Sixers come and win. Beat I go. Oh, he's not playing, and he's healthy. I I understand that problem, but I do think in his case, he heard the noise. Yes, the outside noise from broadcasters, from fans, from the basketball community felt the pressure to play, and that hurt. All right, agree completely. Question number two, Mike Sealski, why are people turning on AJ Brown? (laughs) This is a great question. It bugs me, and listen, I work at a station where I think many people here are guilty of this, and it bothers the hell
4: out of me. Okay, here's my answer to you, Glenn. I think there's a difference between a player being a sensitive, emotional person and an egotistical, deliberately toxic force on a team. I think A.J. Brown is the former, but I think because he plays wide receiver and it is a position, stereotypically, of divas – he gets lumped in with being that kind of guy. And I don't think he is that kind of guy. Now, does he need to get off of social media? Yeah, and he has. He did, yeah. I wrote a column about this a few weeks ago that this is – he's doing exactly what I advised him to do, which is get off of Twitter and Instagram and all of that and just focus on being the best version of you. But I think – and to your point about the station, I think he's allowed himself to get caught up in a discussion that really – it's I don't want to say inappropriate. It's just false. He's it's, hearing it. I know he's, he's hearing, hearing the narrative,
2: it. and then he's we'll we'll play a cut later with him talking about it. And uh, yeah, I listen. He's the best wide receiver this franchise has had since Terrell Owens, and maybe better than Terrell Owens. He's he broke the records this year. Yeah, he's the best thing you got. Uh, and just cherish this thing. Don't don't chase it away. Cherish this.
4: I mean, we had a situation this week where there were quote unquote trade rumors about AJ Brown that seemed to be based entirely on a poll question on Twitter over whether the Eagles should trade A.J. Brown. Yeah. That's different from the Eagles actually wanting to do it.
2: Yeah, narratives get built, and this, this is one I don't want to see take hold. Keep him. Leave him alone. Let him play. Uh, give, him his, give him his space. Question number three, and this is, this is one that we're going to uh, talk about uh, as the show goes on with a guest and, and uh, is damned important. Is this Flyer season cooked? Is this such promising, fun season that we've experienced, surprise season, is it over?
4: I don't know that it's over, but it's pretty close. I think the phrase regression to the mean is coming up. Uh, we saw that in the last few games for the Flyers before the All-Star break. They've been struggling to get victories lately. We'll see how they come out of the break. Uh, but I think the question goes deeper than that, Glenn. It... it they have experienced some really rough stuff in terms of their rebuild, in terms of players who they thought were going to be part of the long-term future of the franchise. Look, they traded away their number one prospect, Cutter Gauthier. They didn't want to do that. That's not a good thing. You can praise Danny Briere and Dan Hilferty and Keith Jones for how they reacted and how they acted to, to maybe maximize Cutter Gauthier's value, but... The bottom line is Gauthier is probably going to develop into the kind of player this franchise needed, a big-time goal scorer, and now they don't have him.
2: Can, that- I, say, can I say something to you as a, as a uh, fellow news guy? Sure. A former news guy. You're a news guy. Uh, if I may be your editor, you're
4: burying the lead. Well, yeah, we're going to get to the lead. We're going to get to the lead, which is Carter Hart uh, and the sexual assault charges that are coming against him. And, look, it's a very sensitive topic. I kind of want to deal with it just from the perspective of the Flyers. Uh, What will happen in the legal system in Canada will happen. But this was the guy the team thought was going to be its franchise goaltender. And it is very possible, if not likely, he will never play for them again. And that is, again, purely from a hockey perspective, pretty damaging to the Flyers.
2: Yeah. I mean, everything, everything you just said, he will likely never play for them again. And that, that's he, – he's the guy they planned, to, you know – <coughs> excuse me, coughing here. He was it. He was all that. And um, because of this situation, it will likely never happen again. I had a thing yesterday. I just want to find this tweet I put out just, just so I can further mm-hmm. depress everything. Yeah,
4: and yeah. look, it, you know, I know what Danny Brier said about they didn't know what was coming. They've been drafting and acquiring young goaltenders up and down the organization – they had to have a sense of yeah. what might be ahead. Yeah,
2: they, they, they certainly had a, a, a little bit of an indication. So this is this, and, I, and I, I hope I don't depress people to the point where they start driving their cars into ditches off the road, but I'm just going to give you something that I noticed yesterday. 2016, mm-hmm. four Philadelphia teams drafted. Carson Wentz, mm. with, by the way, the second overall pick. Ben Simmons, top of the draft. Mickey Moniak. Oh, gosh. And Carter Hart. Now, Carter Hart was a second-round pick. The guy they took in the first round was a Russian Rubstack? Rube yeah, guy. German Rubstaff.
4: Disappeared into yes. nowhere.
2: I don't even know where he is now.
4: Concussions. He suffered three or oh, four concussions oh, within the first year okay. or two that they ah, had him.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Hello. Uh, anyway, let's leave him out. Carter Hart was a second-round pick. But Wentz, Simmons, Monia, Carter
4: Hart, all expected to be franchise cornerstones.
2: All oh, gone.
4: Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about big swings and big misses, uh, as it turns out, on all of them. And look, again, to keep it purely in the realm of hockey, if you are a Flyers fan, this is what a real rebuild can be like. It's not a clean line upward, no matter yeah, how long it takes. There's no going to no. be potholes
2: along the road. It was fun while it lasted for this year.
4: <laughs> it was. Uh, question number four, Mike Sielski, are you good with the Eagles coaching staff hires? I am better with Kellen Moore than I am with Vic Fangio. I Mm -hmm. think Kellen Moore is a really sharp offensive mind. I think his track record in Dallas and in Los Angeles this past season with the Chargers, while Justin Herbert was healthy, speaks for itself. I think the Eagles offense is likely to be better for Kellen Moore's presence. As far as Vic Fangio goes as a defensive coordinator, again, his resume is terrific. However, my concern with Fangio and the scheme that he coaches is that I wonder if the league is catching up to it. We've seen facsimiles of it the last couple of years with Jonathan Gannon and Sean Desai, and it had its good moments and it had its really not so good moments, especially this past season. And Glenn, if you look at the teams that are in or were almost in the Super Bowl this year, the 49ers, the lions, the chiefs, even with Andy Reed, they can all run the ball and they are willing to run the ball. And I, I've been saying this for a while, that I wonder when the league is going to – teams around the league are going to figure out that because defenses are built to stop the pass, their offenses can pound them in a submission with the running game. And we haven't quite gotten there yet, and I wonder if by hiring Fangio, the Eagles aren't going to be ready for that shift when it happens.
2: I have that concern as well. Um, I think as an extension of that, that defense – and stop me if this sounds familiar – is designed to not give up the big play. Yes. And we'll let you have the small plays all day, but we're not going to give you the big play. And so what we saw from the Eagles this year is teams have just drive the ball against them all day. In addition to the run, which is a huge thing as you just mentioned, you can just keep throwing underneath. Yeah. And you throw to the tight end and you throw underneath and that's that's what worries me. Fangio listen, Fangio is a genius, great coach with an amazing resume who has built teams, he built that Bears defense from nothing into a good defense. Did a nice job down in Miami, um, but I do have that concern. I sh- I'm also excited about Kellen Moore. Um, somebody called me the other day and said, like, yeah, well, he's from Dallas, and every time we get from Dallas, they stink. Uh,
4: that's, that's not the way to look at it. That's
2: not the way to look to look at this. This is this is a different thing. I think he can do just fine here, and I'm e- eager to see that. I will say this. We agree that Nick Sirianni goes into next season with a bit of a target on his back. A bit of a target? They kept him here, and uh, if he starts out 1-3, and even before before the season starts, every story is like, which head coach is on the hot seat? Who's the first one to get fired? He's going to be at the top of the list. If it doesn't happen, I imagine that Vic Fangio could be a head coach in waiting. I hope it doesn't happen, but I don't dismiss that possibility.
4: Do you think the Eagles would fire a, co- a head coach midseason? I know they fired Chip Kelly with a week to go, but do you really think they'd they'd whack Sirianni four or five weeks in?
2: I don't think Jeff. Did Jeff ever do that? He, Jeff has never done that. Uh, do I think it's possible? Yeah, I think it's possible.
4: Hmm.
5: Yeah. Do you
2: think it's not
4: possible? I, I don't know what. I think it's possible. I just wonder how likely it is. Are we talking like 5% chance, 10% chance? If they start or like,
2: out one and three? Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's, maybe. I think it's a real chance. If, okay. they, if they start out poorly, Jeff is not going to want to watch the season go away. If he thinks the team has the talent to do it. If Howie Roseman has an off season, you know, an active off season, and you go into the year thinking the linebackers are better, the secondary is better, this team looks mm-hmm. like it's going to be good again, and it's not. Rather than watch the division go away from them, I think they would do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an
4: interesting idea Um, Mm -hmm. on multiple levels, too, because Fangio is a defensive oriented coach, and we all know that the Eagles prefer their head coaches to have more offensive sensibilities and things like that.
2: Yeah, but not the long term answer. Yeah. But, you know, guide us through the season. All right. Question number five. It's almost in the form of a statement, but there was a question mark at the end of it. Okay. Can we please stop with the Andy Reid <laughs> sentimentality? Uh, if he had stayed here, how many Super Bowls would the Eagles have won? And listen, I bear Andy no ill will. I am mm-hmm. not an Andy hater. I know those people exist in this town. I am not that person. Uh, I'm I'm rooting for the Chiefs next week. My choice is the Chiefs or the Niners. I'm rooting for Andy and the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. You bet. Go for it. <coughs> Excuse me, coughing. But... um. This whole narrative, if he had stayed here, boy, things would have been great. First of all, they won a Super Bowl without him. Hello! (laughs) Remember Doug Peterson? He won a Super Bowl. They got to another Super Bowl last year without him. Mm
5: -hmm.
2: I know I asked you this question, but I'm
5: taking the liberty here.
2: Yeah. But do people forget what his last couple of years were like here? He was 4-8 his second last year. They had a bogus run at the end, went Mm -hmm. 8-8. It's like, oh, let's keep him. And then he stayed one more year, and it was awful. It was he was done here. That's the way these things work. Everything has its own life. Was it thirteen years he was here? Twelve or thirteen? Fourteen. Fourteen. Excuse yeah, me. Thir- don't want to cheat yeah, 13, him out of a year. Th- thirteen or fourteen. All right. Yeah. Well, whatever. It was thirteen. It was in the teens. Yeah. He could have been bar mitzvah. Okay. <laughs> um.
4: Andy Reid became a man here. <laughs> he did he,
2: well, and and he did, and yes. he, and he grew into a great coach here, who had a really good run. And when it was over, it was done. And, you know, his assistant staff had just kind of gone away, and he was experiencing personal and family issues. And it was really good for him, like, okay, we'll wrap it up, and we'll go. And he goes to Kansas City, and God bless him for his success. It would not have happened here. It was done. Question mark.
4: Okay. (laughs) All right, let me play a little bit of devil's advocate with you. First of all, this is Philadelphia. We are constantly asking, what if? What if Andy Reid had stayed? And since Jeffrey Lurie fired him and since he went to the Chiefs, he's gone from being Diet Marty Schottenheimer to Diet don't, Bill I don't, Walsh. I don't know about Diet. <laughs> Fair point. Um, he wins another Super Bowl. If he wins this Super Bowl, you have to talk about him as one of the greatest coaches of all time. Happy to. Okay. Like among Great. the top five of all time.
2: Well, okay. We're not Mount rushmore this. We're going five. Yeah.
4: Okay. Five.
2: It's good. Mount Rushmore's a cliche, so good. Now,
4: now, here's here's the thing. As bad as things were for him at the end, and I agree they were bad. They went bad in part, and you could argue in large part because the quarterback position was so unsettled. Michael Vick kept getting hurt. Kevin Cobb kept kept suffering concussions. It's not like he forgot to coach. As soon as he got to Kansas City, he took Alex Smith to levels that Smith has never been, had never been to before, and he pinpointed Patrick Mahomes. And they've become kind of a mini dynasty since then. I think it is fair for people to ask whether something similar might have happened here if Lurie had said, you know what, Andy will figure it out. He just needs a quarterback.
2: He made his offensive line coach into his (laughs) defensive coordinator. I said
4: I was playing Devil's advocate. Did you forget that? Well, no, but... Okay, why did that happen? Because he... Was grasping at straws. At yes,
2: the yeah, because he fired Sean McDermott because he – actually, because I think they needed a scapegoat, and so yes. Sean became the scapegoat. Yes. So he was fired. So I was like, what are we going to do? Uh, you, you're a coach. You go coach defense. Yes. And it was awful. And it was
4: again – I'm not saying it was good. I'm just saying, yeah, you know, here's another way to look at it. I don't think
2: so. Hey, listen, if somehow Patrick Mahomes has ended up at his eagle, maybe things could be a little bit different. But I can't make that leap. Right that that was going to happen. It was done. It was fine. Yeah, so, and it
4: took him four years to get Mahomes. Let's be honest here. So, yeah, all right. So, listen,
2: that's all. We're going to cover that and more today, and we look forward to talking to you about it. We've got a couple of good guests coming up. Anthony Sanfilippo, our pal who's with Crossing Broad, and the – what's the name of the podcast that they do? It's a good podcast. Oh, um, Snow the Goalie. Snow the Goalie. Award-winning Snow the Goalie podcast is going to uh, join us at 11 to talk about kind of what is – Uh, The Flyers' future, presumably without Carter Hart. It's so weird to say. It's like, he's just done. He's never going to play here again. I I would be surprised if he did. I think you're probably right. We'll see what Anthony thinks about that at noon. Keith Pompey is going to join us, the fine Sixers writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And a special call-in from Ray Tinscher today. Ray reached out to me last night and says, uh, Carl Weathers passed away, says, I'd like to come on and talk about it. Sounds great to me. You got it. So our what we're watching today will feature a special guest in Ray. And we want to talk to you. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
3: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game.
1: Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit (laughs) ads.odyssey.com.
2: Hold on. What was that at the end of that, Dan Wilson? I was like half listening. What was that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's a promotion for our new afternoon show here. Spike, Uh Eskin, uh, Ike Reese, and Jack Fritz. And he, uh, Jack, recorded one of his promos, and in a very, I'll say, heavy Philadelphia slash stereotypical Delco accent. I can't do it as well as he can. Goes like, "Go Fightins, man." That's (laughs) that's that's that's, the only
2: part I heard. Is that's the the promotion? Yeah,
1: that's that's Jack doing a. A Delco go fighting. Maybe we'll
4: get him on Saturday Night Live with a guest appearance by Tina Fey, and they can do
2: the
1: trying to teach Jimmy Fallon how to do it or something like that. Yes,
2: Uh, when they did that,
4: that was actually really hysterical. The the less Jimmy Fallon in my life, the better. You don't like Jimmy Fallon? Not a Jimmy Fallon fan. No, not a Jimmy Fallon. I like Jimmy
2: Fallon. He's he's like the very talented guy. He's
4: like the guy at the party who has the guitar and won't stop playing. Just be quiet after a while.
2: Animal House. Yeah, exactly.
4: He's that guy. (laughs) Now. Really? No. I
1: like Jimmy Fallon. No, not He's trying to rub ta- the talent in your face. I'm not the world's biggest yes, Jimmy Fallon yes, fan, but I find him it. entertaining. I feel
4: inadequate compared to Jimmy that's Fallon. That's not what I was that's... suggesting, uh, uh, but you know. All right, well, hey,
1: anyway,
2: I like Jimmy Fallon. Uh, and by the way, we uh, tomorrow, Todd is going to join us. We'll kick up some Phillies, which I'm waiting for something to kick up.
4: Yeah, there's nothing to talk about. Uh, they haven't done anything. Uh,
2: I know, I know. It's, it's a little disappointing. I, was, I, want, I want an interesting off offseason. It has not been that, but still time to come. A lot of unsigned free agents. All right, AJ Brown, let's get into that a little bit. 2155929494. So, you and I talked about this in the first segment. He was the best player on the team last year. Yes. I ran a Twitter poll, I think while you were gone, who was the MVP last year and Jake Elliott won,
4: which Who else were you going to pick?
2: Uh, well, AJ Brown is well, the only other guy you could pick, but he faded at the end. It right. just like nothing happened at the end, but uh, other than that, he was the best player on the team this year. You did some stories about what he has gone through and who he is and how that plays into perceptions of him.
4: Yeah, he is a 26-year-old. He is the model of a modern, major, professional athlete, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. He's 26. He's on social media all the time. He takes what he hears on social media a little too much to heart. He has admitted that he has gone through mental health issues. Uh, While he was with the Tennessee Titans, he talked about contemplating uh, suicide. There's a lot going on with him, and somehow this has gotten, to me, twisted into he's a bad guy, and should the Eagles get rid of him? And apart from all of that, Glenn, apart from all of that emotional baggage, like, one of the things the Eagles need to do for next season is to get Jalen Hurts back to being the Jalen Hurts of 2022, explain to me how you do that by trading AJ Brown. You
2: don't. You don't. It's stupid. It's it's really just stupid. So the problem is the talk has begun. The chatter began, and and as sometimes happens, these narratives develop their own life. Yes. Right. And so this did. So he he AJ Brown goes on Kay Adams' show. That's ESPN, right? Uh no, it's um, oh I'm sorry NFL th- Network. What is no, she? No, it's on? a oh.
1: FanDuel FanDuel oh. TV. Okay, excuse me. Okay, I apologize. Formerly of NFL Network. Yeah, okay. So
2: he goes on Kay Adams' show, and he is asked, um, you know, what what do you know about these trade rumors? What what do you hear? And here's what he had to say.
7: AJ, we got to address this because it's everywhere. Why does Twitter have this wild idea that you're getting traded?
8: I don't know. I don't know. You know, maybe they know something I don't know.
4: I mean have you heard anything about this is this like a media thing like where is it? it's everywhere I'm sure you've seen it
8: you know I, uh you know I kind of been through this before you know well, I'm a vet, you know um uh, so you know I remain quiet and you know uh if something happens I'll be waiting by the phone and not then I'll be right here no
2: it is a media thing yes it's, it's only a media thing it's only a Twitter thing Twitter's not real life the fr- okay it's just it's just a creation. And so when, when he answers this, I think, I mean, if, if, if I take it on face value that he's being honest, he's thinking that the possibility exists. He says, I've been through this before. He got traded before. He probably, I don't know if he expected to get traded before. I knew he was in contract negotiations mm-hmm. and such. But I don't want him to start to believe like, oh, maybe they're looking to trade me. They're not. Okay?
4: It's just, it's just a small thing that takes on a life. The first thing that Kay Adams said when she asked that question is the problem here. Everybody's talking about it on Twitter. Well, that right. doesn't mean it has any basis in reality. There's a lot of things that a lot of people talk about on social media that has no basis in reality and mm-hmm. isn't going to happen. Yeah. And if the Eagles decided to trade A.J. Brown, it would be, I think, a total shock to people who are close enough to the team to know that they're not going to trade A.J. Brown. Yeah. They don't want to do it. It's not going to happen.
2: I uh, this is, I would like this is I think either Howie, but more likely Nick Sirianni's got to kind of like step up, give him a call, right? Mm-hmm. Or just, or if they would, haven't done it already, him, which If is they possible, haven't, and yeah, maybe yeah. they have, but the his answer on Kay Adams suggests that they didn't when that was recorded, right? Nick's got that relationship; he knows him. They're you know they they work together. Good, I presume, good interpersonal relationship. And just say, hey, Jake, just don't listen to this stuff because it's not going to happen. We love you. We cherish you. You're here. Whatever. As you said, you've got – they need to work out the relationship with he and the quarterback. which yes. is a little bit complicated relationship there. I think this is where Nick steps in. You know what? All the boys, go golfing together. Mm-hmm. You know, go uh, have a weekend together. Do something and and work this thing out and get past it, and that's what I need. I'm
4: not even sure how much they need to get past here, Glenn. I don't mean to paper over what happened over the last seven weeks of the Eagles season because it was a bloodbath. It was awful. But I don't think that A.J. Brown expressing disappointment and frustration with the way the team is playing— was a source of the big problems that afflicted this team in the last six or seven weeks of the season. The guy's allowed to be frustrated, and it's not like he was standing up after every game saying, the reason we're losing is because Jalen Hurts isn't getting me the football. He was frustrated that they were losing. He was frustrated that he wasn't getting the football because as the best player on the team, I think he knows if you get me the ball, we're more likely to win. Yeah, he
2: wants the opportunity to, to help him win. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, and again, I don't mean to present a Pollyanna version of what goes on in that locker room, but the fact is that A.J. is pretty respected and loved within the locker room. He is very well regarded amongst his teammates. They don't look at him as a problem. They don't look at him as a T.O. who divided the locker room or name your diva skill position guy who wants... To get his numbers up at the expense of whether the team wins or loses or not, he's not that guy. Yeah, he's just but, not.
2: But Mikey scrubbed his Instagram account. Of I know. the Eagles stuff. What does that tell you?
4: I know. And and look, I get that in the modern media world that you look for those sorts of things now. Athletes can. Yeah, we've send, seen it happen. To send, be fair, we have seen that right. happen, and, and
2: it and it has meant something at times. Yeah,
4: and and I think certain athletes create problems for themselves when they. Do things like that when they send out an emoji and get people. You see LeBron James do this all the time, where he he tweets a single emoji, and now people are wondering: Does this mean he wants to be traded? Yeah, Does this mean he wants to not play for the Lakers anymore? He, he can be a little dramatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. so look, he doesn't want to go anywhere. He's a great receiver. Let's stop with this. Yeah. And, oh, and by the way,
2: we might have buried the lead. It's almost impossible to trade him. Oh, it's this. a forty-two million dollar cap hit if you trade him, and I know they traded Wentz. They had to trade Wentz. Absolutely, I mean, that, was, that was different. That yes. was that was. This
4: would be the biggest cap hit of all time if they traded right. him.
2: Why do you, Why would you take it to get rid of a guy who you want here? Exactly. I mean, it's it's you get rid of a you you do that if a guy's poison, which they had to do with Wentz. They had to do it. It worked out well. It worked out. Uh, in this case, they don't have to do it. They don't want to do it. It's not going to happen. I don't know how we can emphasize it anymore. I I don't know either. Leave AJ alone, you people. <laughs> Leave him be, okay? He's great. He's got some stuff. Live with that. It's not terrible stuff. It's minor stuff. Live with it. Correct. All right. I think we've established that. I think we have. All right. Let's go to Corey and Manny. Hello,
9: Corey. Hey guys. Uh, great show. Love the show. Listen every weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Corey. Um, I just, Mike, you guys have brought up the point about how likely it is it that Jeff would make the move to kind of ask Nick mid-season. And it got me thinking, you know, with the coordinators, it it seems like it's actually much more likely with the hires that they've made that they could possibly make that move if they're, like Glenn said, one and four, two and five. And, uh, you know, I think there's probably not many better people that you would want to step in, like a Vic Fangio, if he was going to be an interim coach to kind of finish out a year and keep things you know afloat as best as possible. And with uh, Kellen Moore, I think, you know, he's a guy who could probably run the offense on his own with very little oversight. So I think that, you know, obviously I don't think Jeff's going into the year thinking I'm going to pull the plug, but I think it's actually kind of more likely at this point that it could happen. Let me
2: pose it to you guys this way. I'll ask the two of you. Hmm. When they moved to hire the coordinators, um, do you think it was at least a little bit in Jeff's mind, Howie Roseman's mind we need to, let's get a guy who can run this team.
4: I think it's very possible that that was in play. I think the more likely scenario is that they wanted two guys who were established as respected, successful coordinators, which Sean Desai and Brian Johnson were not. And if the byproduct of that is team gets off to a 1-4 start, they feel like they have to make a move, which I'm not yet convinced that Jeffrey Lurie would do, okay, we've got Fangio, we've got Kellen Moore, we should be all right. Go ahead, Corey.
9: Yeah, I mean, I agree on, on that point. Like I said, I don't think Jeff's going into the year thinking that way. But with how things ended um, going 1-6 and six and then losing that playoff game, I, I just can't imagine if they're 1-4 and four and things are slipping away that, that that's not on the table. I, I just I hate to say it because I I just don't want to go through another. Oh God, no. Head no. coach. And it's it's just it's it's kind of getting crazy at this point. So I really hope it's not like that. But just just as it just seems like they've lined things up, not with the intention, but but as a, as an emergency kind of safety net situation.
4: Yeah, and I think. Thank you. Thanks, Corey. And I think here's the issue, Glenn, with bringing Nick back in the way that they did it. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when speculation was rampant that they were going to fire him. And my argument and the argument of my colleague, Dave Murphy, at the Inquirer, who made this point in a column, was if you're going to bring him back, give him a contract extension Mm -hmm. because it reaffirms that he's your guy. Now they've brought him back and they didn't give him an extension, and they brought in two coordinators who are well-regarded around the NFL, one of whom already has head coaching experience and has been around for 20-some years, and now you've got this cloud of question marks around.
2: Yeah. Um, It'd be very interesting when the schedule comes out in April, May, whenever it comes out. April. April. What the Eagles' first month looks like.
4: Boy, if you're Nick Sirianni,
2: you're hoping... Give me me a couple of cupcakes early. Give me Atlanta, (laughs) maybe? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'd
4: have to look again, and I don't have their schedule. Yeah. Uh, for twenty twenty four in front. The of way me.
2: the way they got to start this year versus the hell they went through in the middle of the year, he doesn't want that hell at the start of the year. He, no, I don't think he can afford it. No, he start sure doesn't. And, and
4: and and you're not going to get Washington and the Giants early in the season. You're likely <laughs> to get them toward the end. Right. So we'll see.
2: 215 592 Coming up, the uh, the NFL uh, world is going crazy over Taylor Swift, and uh, not necessarily in a good way. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit. 215 592 94 Mike Sealski, Glenn Macknow on 94 WIP. Hey, if this cold winter we've endured hasn't yet convinced you to replace your drafty, inefficient windows and doors, maybe the great people at Guided Door and Window can help. They're going to give you one more month to do so at their best prices of the year. If you haven't taken advantage of Guida's big winter sale, this is your last chance to do it. You receive 40% off every window and door you buy. Yep, 40% off each each expertly installed energy-efficient replacement window, which also includes free high-performance low-E glass, and 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. And you can buy now and pay later with Guida's interest-free financing or low-monthly payment plans. This offer will expire at the end of February, so don't let this final chance for big savings pass you by. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. That's go G-U-I-D-A dot com.
4: Let's be friends. I'm dying to see how this one ends. Grab your passport and my hand. I can make the bad guys good for a weekend. So it's
2: all right, well, there you go, because we're going to be hearing a lot of that over the course of the next week. That gets me excited for football, Glenn. I don't know about you. All right, so you had a column about this, and this is certainly worth discussing a little bit, because to me, the, the animosity directed toward Taylor Swift and Jason Kelsey is baffling. Um, it, you have, I guess, the most iconic pop star in the world right now? Yes. Dating, no question. Okay, dating the best tight end, one of the best players, one of the most um, notable players in the NFL, recognizable mm-hmm. players in the NFL. They certainly appear to have a happy, healthy relationship, right? Yes. At the beginning, people thought, yeah, it's just you know, it's for show or whatever. I remember asking, saying, like, yeah, good luck, Travis. <laughs> you got no shot. You got no <laughs> shot. They they clearly have a real loving relationship, yes. and good for them. It's the kind of thing normally would be celebrated.
4: Mike Sielski, why are people so angry about this? (sighs) I think a few reasons. One, and I don't want to get into this because this is not a politics show, but there is an element of the population that sees this as some kind of vast conspiracy because Taylor Swift might endorse one of the presidential candidates and blah blah blah. Well, she is not, by the way. Yeah.
2: And and I don't even want to get into. She that. is not. And and well, I'll just I'll just take it one a little further. And I I agree, with I don't want to take it too deep, but Travis did commercials for the Pfizer vaccine yes. and so then Aaron Rodgers went after him, so he is then seen on that side of it and Taylor Swift uh, I guess in some 2019 2019- uh, video, documentary, she made a couple comments uh, against Marsha Blackburn a, a Republican senator from Tennessee and so she's seen on that side of it. I don't think either of them is, is particularly political. I don't think, that in their mind, this has, that has nothing to do with it. No, that.
4: and celebrity endorsements in politics don't move the <clears throat> needle one way or another. So yeah, that's true. That, I, I think some of this is, in our society nowadays, nobody asks themselves, like, why do I have to care about this? Everybody has to weigh in and care about everything all the time, and I know how ironic it is. Yeah, we make a living. Do I know. I know how ironic it we're, is that I'm saying this on a sports doing talk that show. at the moment. I get it. Um, I think another aspect of this is that people forget that this sort of thing has happened in sports forever, and it is to be expected. As you said, Glenn, we have the biggest pop culture figure in the world right now dating one of the best players on the best team in the National Football League. Guess what everybody? The cameras are going to find her in the stadium. That's the way it works because she is really, really famous. As I pointed out in the column, Glenn, Travis Kelsey, the six foot four, two 250 pound, Hall of Fame bound tight end, is the beta in this relationship, I know that was.
2: It was funny what you said. Yeah,
4: because Taylor Swift has far more <clears throat> popularity and social cultural power and resonance than Travis Kelsey does. Did you write? He's her boyfriend. He's it's her not, boyfriend. Yeah. She's not his girlfriend.
2: Yeah, that was. He's funny. her
4: boyfriend. Yeah, was okay. Good. Yeah. So that's the the first thing. The second thing is, as I mentioned, people have the memory of goldfish when it comes to this stuff. When Andre Agassi was making runs throughout tennis tournaments and was at the top of his game. You know who cameras cut to all the time? His wife, Brooke Shields. Or his big fan, Barbara Streisand, who was in the stands watching him. And this stuff tennis. happens all the time. Tennis is different. It's a different fan base. Yeah. It is. You know what You know my
2: dad yeah. recalled to me the other day? My dad said, isn't this DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe? There you go.
4: I said, yes. Yes. It exactly is. That's exactly what Now, this I
2: understand. Is. That was, whatever, 80 years ago, so you, you don't have to have the memory of, a, of an elephant. Mm-hmm. You, or you would have to have the memory of an Marilyn elephant. Monroe
1: didn't have an Instagram following of a uh, Taylor Swift.
2: You know what? I bet you there's a Marilyn Monroe account on. <laughs> oh, I'm Instagram sure there is now. That has a big following. How many followers
1: would she have had back in the day? Oh, everybody Plenty. in the world. Yeah, Marilyn
2: yeah. Monroe was was apparently all that and uh, a bag of chips. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, much like Taylor Swift. Okay. Yes. Okay. So is the world the the people that are upset? And I know that it's not us. So we're asking. I'm asking you guys to to figure it out. Are they upset because they're a couple? Are they upset because she shows up on TV and I want to watch my game? Why is she on TV? I'm trying to watch my game.
4: Why are they upset about? I think they're upset because at some level they regard the three to three and a half hours of an NFL game as time when they don't have to – think or worry about anything else but this thing that they want to think and worry about.
2: Well, that's silly.
4: I know. Because. But that's the way people look at stuff nowadays. Can I just. Did, were these people
2: making noise to this level when every Lakers game I got to see Jack Nicholson five times? No, of course not. Were these people making. And I and now I'm going to a different sport. I understand this basketball is not football. But mm-hmm. were these people pitching a fit when every New York Knicks game I'm seeing Spike Lee courtside. And, and getting a lot more involved. She's up in the booth cheering. Yes. With her, with her uh, I was going to say brother-in-law, but, uh, boyfriend's brother mm-hmm. shirtless chugging a beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's not doing anything. No. She's just up there cheering.
4: Spike Lee was, was interacting with Reggie Miller during games. Yes, but that leads us to the other <clears throat> dynamic here, Glenn. Spike Lee and Jack Nicholson are famous men. And this is is that a, a thing? I think that's a thing and for a lot of people. I do you want to think we're past that at every level and we're not. And it's the fact that she is a successful, beautiful, intelligent woman. and that's different from, the from way, Reading, Pennsylvania, by the way. Yes. And, via
2: the same high school as Ross Tucker.
4: And that is different from the way cool movie star with the sunglasses sitting courtside, rooting for the Lakers. Yes, man.
2: Well, okay. So I don't know that I'm going to totally agree with that, but I think I will agree. It's also an age thing where, it, where in which the people who are upset about this don't listen to her music but they probably watch Jack Nicholson movies. There you go. It's probably okay. That's
1: okay. where I was going. Is the Venn diagram between sports fans and Jack Nicholson, like the traditional yeah. guy sports fan, yeah, and Jack Nicholson movies. and Spike Lee is a lot bigger than the Venn diagram between the average NFL fan who's in their whatever age and Taylor Swift's music.
4: Guess what? Almost half of people who watch NFL games are women. And Taylor Swift's... I don't think they're the ones complaining about it, though. Right, they're not. And, but my point is, Taylor Swift's core fan base does watch the NFL. Not, as, not with the same level of engagement that the audience that might listen to the show in the majority would. Mm-hmm. But we don't have they, a lot of Taylor Swift. The audience, <laughs> to our show. But they do watch We football play the music. Games. They do.
2: Uh, okay, so, and there was, uh, they did the end of the year NFL um, network audience uh, viewership. Mm-hmm. Uh, viewership among men this year, I think, went up 3%, which is good. Yeah. I mean, it's up. It was, you know, up is good. Viewership among women this year went up 9%. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to tell you Taylor Swift's responsible for all, most of that,
4: but I think she's responsible for some of that. Here's the thing, Glenn. The NFL is constantly looking for ways to squeeze more juice out of It's possible audience, right? That's why they're scheduling all these games in London and Germany and Mexico. They want to try to find more fans. Taylor Swift is a way for them to find more fans. A buddy of mine, Brian Costello, who covers the New York Jets for the New York Post, Mm -hmm. wrote a column a couple of days ago in which he described the fact that he coaches his 10-year-old daughter's lacrosse team and... All his players come up to him now, every time he sees them, and say to him, are you going to meet Tay-Tay? Are you going to meet Taylor? Is there a way for you to help us meet her? Can you get me her
2: autograph? Can you get me her autograph? And they're
4: watching Chiefs games because it flashes to her for 25 seconds over a three-hour
2: game. I I had a guy um, the other day, because I put what we're talking about, I I, put this on on social media that we're going to talk about this, and the guy said, my daughters, age whatever they were, twelve and nine, fourteen and eleven, that they never—they never cared about NFL football before. Now they want to watch with me. Are the Chiefs on? We want to watch the Chiefs. Yep. And I, hey, you're getting fans. What is this bad for anybody? And you just said something that I think is really important. I saw the New York Times piece last Sunday, in which they looked at the last four games that the Chiefs were on, and counted how many times Taylor Swift appeared on TV. And for how long. Mm-hmm. And the average, I think, was six times over the course of three and a half hours for 25 seconds total. It's three and a half hours. That's a hundred. Let's say that's 200 minutes. I'm going to round off. 200 minutes times 60 is 12,000 seconds. Mm-hmm. She's on for 25 of those 12,000 seconds. It's 12, 000- yeah, 12,000 yeah. seconds it would be.
4: What? A, what? It, it's not like they're holding a concert every time Travis Kelsey scores a touchdown and we have to pause the game so that Taylor can play bad blood or something like that. Like It's 25 seconds, people. Get over it. To me, Glenn, this is just the consummate example of people looking for things to get outraged about.
2: So I don't normally agree with Colin Coward. Mm. I'm not a fan. I don't either. I'm not a fan of his, but I think he nailed some of it this week. Uh, And he said it's about lonely men. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he said, there's a lot of really weird, lonely, insecure men out there. The fact that a pop star, the world's biggest pop star, is dating a star tight end who had one of his greatest games ever. And the network puts them both on air briefly. And then it bothers you. What does that say about your life? Yeah. And I guess that's of, what we just said. Yeah.
4: But, and there's a lot of truth in that. A lot of truth.
2: Yeah. And I understand by discussing this as we have, we're probably not going to get people to call up and say, here's why it bothers me. We don't want to bully you out of your opinion, so if you feel that way, by all means, give us a call and explain to us why this is such a thing.
4: It used to be the kind of thing that would... This is the ideal, right? Like, this is the thing people want. They want the romance between the big, bad tight end who looks like a well-groomed lumberjack Mm. and the beautiful, successful pop star who has made a career for herself and kind of takes ownership of her life and work. I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm
2: not quite in that camp. I'm more in the camp of like I don't care. It's like okay, yeah. fine. Doesn't done yeah. not I don't get excited. It's like, "Oh, hey, Taylor Swift's on right. TV. Yeah. Judy, come in the room." Right. I'm not doing and that. And I'm not that way but either. But I'm also like it's okay. I you know the number the amount of garbage I have to watch during a 3-hour NFL broadcast. The commercials and the promotions that they do, and
4: Tony Romo and Jim Nance.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. and <laughs> th- more Taylor Swift. Let th- Twitter poll, put it up, okay? What what
6: what, what bothers you more, Taylor Swift you more or Tony during Romo during an NFL
2: broadcast? Taylor Swift or Tony? I'm putting it up. I'm gonna put that Twitter poll up. Uh, I'll put up a two hour one. We'll have it done by the end of the show. Yeah,
1: boom. Tony Romo takes a lot more of those 12,000 seconds than Taylor Swift does. He
4: does, and he's a lot more. And he's
1: calling the Super Bowl, so get ready. All right. uh, I'm so glad I'm going to be there that I don't have to listen to him and Nance. Are you excited for Usher at halftime? Is that your music, more so than Taylor Swift? Uh,
4: No, I mean, I like both Usher and Taylor Swift. I'm just glad I don't have to listen to Nance and Romo because I think they are among the worst broadcast pairings in the
1: league. Nance, too, or just Romo? Both. Wow. I, I got
4: no issue with Nance on golf. I can't stand him on the NFL. All
2: right, we got we to go to a break here because I want to come back. We're obviously changing the topic when we get back. We're going to talk a little Flyers hockey uh, and the uh, future of Carter Hart with Anthony Sanfilippo of Crossing Broad. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mac now on 94. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mac now 94 WIP. All right, we, uh, this is a real opportunity to talk about what's going on with the Flyers, most of it not good right now. And we are joined by Anthony Sanfilippo, who, by the way, congratulations to him because the Snow the Goalie podcast that he does with uh, Chris Terrian and Russ Joy just won a silver award uh, for Best Hockey Podcast in the Sports Podcast Awards. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks, Glenn. That's
3: uh it was a, a surprise that we got uh, got that far, and uh, you know, hey, next year we go for gold. So there you go. Your uh, hundred and
4: seventy votes that you cast really helped. I was going to say, are there? Were, <laughs> <laughs> there were only two entrants, right?
2: <laughs> all right, all right, we are sorry. not here to bust your stones. All right. <laughs> So, Anthony, let's start with the big issue, which is that Carter Hart is among five uh, pro players, four in the NHL, now facing charges in Canada in connection with an alleged 2018 group sexual assault when he was with the Canadian World Juniors. His lawyers say he is innocent. Gary Bettman said the other day that Hart and the others uh, will be suspended without pay, I'm presuming through the end of the year, at the end of the year, Carter Hart is a restricted free agent. Is it likely that we have seen Carter Hart play his last game as a Philadelphia Flyer?
3: Yeah, I, look, I think so. Um, uh, he, you know, it, It's no surprise that all of these players um, reach free agency at the end of this season. Um, I, I think teams were kind of preparing for this uh, as, as a possibility um, with these guys. And uh yeah, I mean, you know, the way that it's come out and the, the wording and the things that the teams are saying and that the league is saying, I really kind of get the sense that these guys are really going to be tied up with this for at least the next two years. And I can't imagine that anyone's going to want to sign them to even a, um a, a, uh, you know, they're, they're, um, you know, they're, they're contract for beyond this season, and I think that it's just going to be – they're going to be out there waiting to see what the outcome of this, politi- uh, this you know, court case is, and that's really what it's going to come down to. And I don't think that he's going to be back in Philadelphia. I really don't. I think that it's just going to be let it go, end of the season. We're not going to give you a qualifying offer, and good luck to you. And that's wow. really what it is. Wow,
4: Anthony, you mentioned the wording that some of these teams – used uh, yeah. ahead of this. And, and Danny Breer, if I remember correctly, when asked about this situation, had said that the Flyers didn't know anything about it. Am I misrepresenting what he said, or is that accurate and he was trying to frame things in a certain way?
3: Yeah, I think he was trying to frame. Do we lose you
4: know,
3: it? No. A, a lot of us have known about this as a possibility. We, not We didn't know specifics or details. Uh, and we still don't because, you know, the the report's actually not going to come out. Uh, the charges aren't going to officially come out until Monday by the London police. But we've all kind of heard rumblings about this for a year and a half now. And I think that it's kind of disingenuous for, you know, Gary Bettman to say that, you know, that there were things that they, were on, that they didn't know that this was coming or the Calgary Flames to say that this completely caught them off guard. I think that's a little bit misleading because you don't go into the situation that the Flyers When – let's let's piece together what the Flyers did here, right? In the in last offseason, they traded for – when they traded Provorov, they got a, a veteran goalie back in Cal Peterson in that trade. They signed Sam Erson to a contract. They signed uh, Kolosov, who's one of their other young goalies, to his entry-level contract. They traded for two more goalies – or traded for a draft pick and signed two more goalies in the draft, um, one of which has a contract now. You you don't go through all of that rigmarole if you don't plan on having an issue in goal. And to, to sit there and say that you just don't know about it, I think it's a little bit misleading.
4: You mentioned all those goaltenders that they went out of their way to acquire, Anthony. I was having a discussion with somebody earlier this week who suggested to me that the position of goaltender, and this is really taking it out of the realm of what's going to happen to Carter Hart and more kind of a philosophical thing about the National Hockey League, that the position of goaltender will get to the point that the position of running back is in the NFL, where because there are so many really good goaltenders and the differences between a team that wins the Stanley Cup and doesn't win the Stanley Cup comes down to forwards and defensemen more than it does goaltending that you'll just be able teams will just be able to cycle through guys is there any validity to that yeah i think it's i think it's starting to get to that point
3: a little bit it, it, maybe maybe not to the level that it get, got to with running backs in the nfl i i think it's more that the the devaluing of goalies is that you don't want to sign a goalie to a monster contract and have it take up so much of your cap space because you can get by, and we're seeing it with teams who have won Stanley Cups in recent years, with the exception of Tampa, who had a franchise goalie. A lot of these other teams that are getting to the final or winning the whole thing are getting there with goalies who you know, don't make a lot of money. Um, and that's because they would rather tie up their salary cap in other positions that are far more important. Um, Number one defenseman is, is probably the most important thing on a hockey team right now. And I think that's where you're going to see the most money go uh, for, for teams. And then number one center being second. And then if you have scoring wingers, you know, that's third, I think those are the, those are the, um, those are the positions that are more important than goalie at this point. And, you know, I don't think goalies are going to be completely devalued because you can't you can't have nobodies in net, but at the same time, it's going to be kind of, I would say, think of it like when you, you want to win in the NFL with a quarterback while he's on his first contract. It's kind of along those lines. You'd rather win with a guy when he's not worth a lot of money versus when he's worth a lot of money because
2: of the cap. All right, by the way, Bernie Peron called said you should go to hell. <laughs> um, we're, we're talking to Anthony Sanfilippo Follow him on Twitter the, We've discussed Twitter a lot today And sure have At AntSanPhilly Alright, last question on the goalie Because we want to move to other stuff So who's the goalie? Who's the Flyers goalie two years from now?
3: That's a great question, Glenn I mean, they believe in Urson They, they you know As early as last season I was being told by people in the organization That they viewed him as a number one goalie In the NHL and you know they don't know they didn't know how long it was going to take for him to get there. Um, I, I'm not sold that they thought that he was going to be, uh, you know, even if the stuff happened with Carter Hart in the summer, like a lot of people thought it was going to happen, um, and then it didn't. But I don't I don't think he was going to be a guy that was going to play 55 games this season anyway. Um, I think it would still probably have been a little bit of a, you know, between him and Peterson, and maybe he would play a little bit more. Um, but they think he's a number one. That said, you don't, you don't backload all of these young goalie prospects if you're that convinced. And so I think it's one of those situations where they're going to be like, yeah, we believe in this guy, but he's not going to be given like a real long rope to find out if he can actually be the number one guy because, because we have other options coming as well.
4: All right, Anthony, they're coming off of their bye. They're coming off of the All-Star break. Where are they at right now? They did not go into the break playing particularly well. They've had some issues. Uh, Where do you see them throughout the second half of the season? Can they keep up this surprisingly high level of play? I don't think they can. Now, that's not saying
3: I think that they're going to completely and utterly collapse, Mike. I think that they're actually still going to be a competitive team, and I think that they're going to be in – this playoff race down to the end. Um, but their schedule is brutal in the second half of the season. And I, I've been talking about this on the podcast because when you really look at who they've got left, I mean, they have 32 games left. They've played more games than any team in the NHL right now. Um, and they have, 32, they have 32 games left, 21 of which are against teams who are either ahead of them in the standings or the three teams in the Metro who are right behind them in the standings. Um, that doesn't give you a lot of breathing room to play the weaker teams in the NHL. Now, the Flyers, to their credit, have, for the most part, played well against good teams this year and surprised them. I just think that eventually the league catches up to you when you are a surprise team. I, I equate it to horse racing. The Flyers are a little bit of a speed horse who get out to that front lead, and then the thoroughbreds really behind, you know, catch up and close behind them, and then it's also like, well, where did these guys come from? Um, and I think that that's kind of what the Flyers are facing a little bit. Uh, they'll be in the mix, but right now they're, they're, they really struggle to score. And that, that, to me, that's the biggest issue is they really struggle. They're, they do a lot of one and done in the offensive zone. Um, they get one shot off, and then it's right back in the other direction. They don't really get second opportunities. And I think that if, if sometimes they have to recognize that they are a team that's supposed to be a grinded-out, be difficult to play against hard nosed team and not a super skilled team and they're trying to make skill plays and that's what's hurting them.
2: All right, they're a month away from the tra- right a month away from the trade deadline. Um and you know, they've been very clear that they are not going to try to jump this uh, rebuilding process. So who's likely who's most likely to get traded? What do you think their plan is going into the trade deadline?
3: Yeah, well first of all, I'll tell you that that Danny is open to moving anybody and everybody um, if the right offer comes along. They they are not beholden to keeping, you know, very many players. I mean, you know, other than you just signed Owen Tippett to an eight-year contract. Okay, you believe in him, and you got other a few other guys who are on long-term deals. Well, they're and,
2: not trading. They're tra- not trading right?
4: I would no, think no, about well, it I, if I were them.
3: Well, I think it. I think if the right offer came along, they would think about it. But I do get the sense from you know the people I talk to that they do want to extend him. Um, so I, I kind of think that it's one of those situations where they prefer to keep him, hmm. but if the right offer came along, they would consider it interesting. As for who's gonna go, I think that the 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 ones that are um, most likely are Sean Walker, who to their credit was a guy that they that was thought to be almost like a throw-in in the Prorov trade, and he's turned out to have a really nice season. He's a right-shot defenseman, which a lot of teams are always looking for to deadline. And he's unrestricted at the end of the year, so it makes him uh, appealing to a team because they're like, well, we don't have to commit to anything more than the salary for the rest of the year. Um, and, and so I think they're going to probably get something of value for Sean Walker. The name that I think that is going to surprise some people is Scott Lawton because, in honesty, he's their de facto captain. He's right. the only player on the team who wears a letter on his jersey. It's an A, it's not a C, but he's basically their captain. Um, I think that they, they turned down a draft pick, a high draft pick, a first-round pick last year to keep him. If that same offer comes around this year, because there's not a lot of centers uh, available uh, in the, in, you know, that, that are on the, on the market right now, uh, they, then I think they would take that same offer this year that they did not take a year ago. And the only other name I would throw in there is I still think Morgan Frost is a real possibility to be moved. Um, You know, he and Torts have not seen eye-to-eye. I I don't think that they believe that he's going to be part of the long-term success of this team. So if they feel like he's playing well leading up to the deadline, they might try and cash in on him playing well now um, and to get something for him in return.
4: Anthony, I want to press you on the Konechny thing. I think you're... Your rendition of what the Flyers think about him is 100% accurate. I've talked to people in the organization, too. The name that I've heard that they think of when they think of Konechny is Brad Marchand. I don't know if you've heard that, too. I don't think he's a Marchand-level player. I think he's terrific, but he's not at that level, and I would be more open to dealing him if I were them. I know you just said what you think the Flyers are thinking. What do you think?
3: I think that I think that you're right. I don't think he's quite Marshawn. Um he's probably a step below that, but the one thing I will remind you of with Marshawn is Marshawn was not as good a player when he was for, you know at this point in his career that Knecht is. He wasn't as a, as effective an offensive player. He was just a pest and he was annoying. And you sit there and said, "Oh my god, this guy drives me crazy." And then all of a sudden he turned into a really offensive player. And you're like, where, would, where did that come from? Um, and I think that maybe the Flyers look at connect and think that there is still even another level that he can reach. Whether he does or doesn't, we don't know. I think that there's a, there is a little bit of inconsistency to his game. Um, it, it's less and less as each year goes by. Uh, but right now he's in a rut. Let, let's, just, let's be honest. Like he's struggling to score right now. Um, as guys go through that in, in the league, and you wonder, like, is this something that's going to be something that follows him season after season after season where he goes 15 games, 10, 15 games without a goal? And you're like, well, if I'm signing that guy, I expect him to score for me and be really, off, you know, uh, provide a lot of offense. And if he's not doing it, well, then how is that really helping? You maybe could get something better in return. All right. I, 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 yeah, I think that's how I look at it with him.
2: All right, last thing, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your relationship with John Tortorella, because he has now decided to freeze you out of post-game news conferences. Something that Mike and I uh, were proud of you for that. You know, anytime a coach is mad at a reporter, it probably speaks well of the reporter. Uh, what, what's up there?
3: I I wish I could tell you. I mean, I know he was not happy with you know the report that I put out about the Cutter-Gauthier um, trade and how. You know, Kevin Hayes had some involvement in that. Um, And why he's decided to continue, you know, holding that grudge is beyond me. Um, You know, my preference is to not make it a big public thing. Let's have a sit down and talk about it. And, you know, you tell me what you don't like and I'll tell you what I know and et cetera, et cetera, and take it from there. But I I will say this. I'm not going to stop asking questions like if he thinks that's what the answer is going to be. I'm going to keep asking. I won't go full Larry Brooks and get into a shouting match. No, well, for people.
2: Come on, know, it will be so much fun. Yeah, people. Larry <laughs> Brooks, as a reporter, went through this in New York and kind of made himself the story. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I won't go that far, but I will. I will still go into that press conference asking questions. Good. If he chooses not to answer, that's on him. You do that.
2: All right, Anthony Sanfilippo. Follow him on Twitter at @AntSanFilip. Listen to the Snow the Goalie podcast. Pleasure, my friend.
3: Hey guys, thanks. Always a pleasure. All thanks, right.
2: Anthony. Appreciate See you soon. The magnitude that Carter Hart will never play for the Flyers again is is, is a big deal. I hear what you say, and he kind of agreed with you about goalies not being as important as they were and so on. I still think it's like that guy was, you know, kind of considered
4: he was going to be the spine of the franchise moving forward. He was, and if you remember, Glenn, there was that year, that season, and I think people forget it because – It happened right in the middle, in the beginning of the the COVID pandemic, where the Flyers got within a game of the Eastern Conference Finals and lost to the Islanders and were completely outplayed in that series, except for Carter Hart. And the feeling at that time was, all right, no matter what else happens with this franchise, finally they found their goaltender. And you're right. The fact that he may never play for them again, likely will never play for them again, is a big deal.
2: It is a big kind of ended suddenly. I think is also part of it.
4: All right, Joe in Merchantville
2: is going to explain the Taylor Swift hysteria to us. Hello, Joe. (laughs) I don't know if I'll
10: explain it all, but I to me it comes down to, in some ways, good old fashioned jealousy. Um, We we used to like Camelot in this country. We used to like you guys talked Mm -hmm. about earlier. You you like the 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 stars uh, being together. I personally, I don't I don't get why people aren't aren't don't like she's not interrupting the game. She's not doing anything offensive. And as a bonus, I don't mind looking at very pretty women.
4: (laughs) You know, Joe, you make a great point. It's not as if the sideline reporters are going up into the booth to interview her throughout the game or even once during the game. All they do is cut to her after Travis Kelsey does something on the field. And I think your point about the resentment that people feel – Toward that sort of situation, people who seem to have it all is right on the money.
10: Yeah, well, you know, America's kind of a funny place. We, we want everybody to do well, but if you do too well, people start taking shots at you.
2: Yeah, we tear them down. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's a great point. Thanks so much.
10: And great, and great interview with uh, Anthony. He's Thank good you. to listen to. Appreciate that. Awesome. Thank good
2: you, Jeff. All right, instant poll. Yes. Uh, it's It's been up for... Uh ten fifty nine, twenty minutes. Um who bothers you more during an NFL broadcast? We have four hundred and eighty-six votes so far. Taylor Swift, thirteen percent, Tony Romo eighty seven. See, the people know what's up. I think that's scientific. after all this time
4: we've spent telling everyone not to worry about what's on Twitter, Twitter comes through and Generates the <laughs> true feelings and opinions of the American If any company.
1: show on the station is pro-Twitter and everything that goes on there, <laughs> it's this show. Yeah, Listen,
2: right. I'm on Twitter. You're on Twitter. We're both pretty active. Well,
4: you're active. In it. Yeah, you you rip me every time for the know. way I'm active. Well, you, you, you,
2: because we agreed there's numbskulls on Twitter. Yes. My approach with numbskulls is try to ignore them.
4: My approach often on. is to ignore them. My approach sometimes oh. involves... Amusing myself by responding to them.
2: Uh, You you know, it's the great Mark Twain line. Actually, we have it. It runs on a
4: commercial here,
2: which is never get into an argument with a fool because passersby may not be able to tell Tell the the difference. difference. That's you.
4: That's you. But it amuses me. And I like to think that my columns and my commentary on this radio station give an accurate indication of what I think Mm. and how I carry and present myself in public as opposed to the jokes I make on Twitter.
2: Keep telling you <laughs> yeah. All right, Coming up, what we're watching. Special mystery guest. Well, it's not that much of a mystery Didn't story. we announce it in the yeah, first hour of the show? You know what? If they weren't listening then. Ah. For okay. them, special mystery, what we're watching guest coming up next. Ooh. And we'll take your calls. 215 592 9494 Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP.
3: And a lot of other people in this country are just as sentimental, and there's nothing they'd like better than to see Apollo Creed give a local Philadelphia boy a shot at the greatest title in the world on this country's biggest birthday. Now, that's the way I see it, and that's the way it's going to be.
2: Well, that is the great Carl Weathers passed away uh, this week. What we're watching sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big winter sale through February. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call one eight seven seven Go Guida or visit them at go g u i d a dot com. Mike, I got a uh, uh, an email yesterday <laughs> from a gentleman who wanted to weigh in during the Carl our discussion about Carl Weathers, which is what we're going to talk about.
4: Sylvester Stallone reached out to you?
2: Well, not this time, but uh, <laughs> sir, would you identify yourself, please? <laughs> well, I'm not Sylvester Stallone. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, listen, Carl Weathers, uh, former, um, football player, played for the Oakland Raiders, linebacker, became an actor, rose to fame through the Rocky movies, did some other really good stuff as well, passed away this week, and, um, really left a, a terrific legacy. Ray, why don't you go first?
10: Uh, well, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I thought that, um, you know, when you look back on the whole Rocky series, um, One of the things that made it work so well and last so long is that the characters were so wonderful and so enduring. I mean, Rocky's, you know, I mean, he's in the middle of it all, but, um, the, the original film was so beautifully cast. I mean, Talia Shire, Burt Young and Carl Weathers, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Burgess Meredith. I mean, the fact that it was such a wonderful cast, um, you just loved all those people and you kept wanting to follow their story. Uh, and, uh, I think that you know Rocky obviously was the was the centerpiece, but I mean Carl Weathers as Apollo was terrific because he he did something that was very hard to do. I mean he took a guy who, at least in the first one, should have been the villain, uh, but there was a, and and he was. I mean he he served that role, but he did it in a way that he was charming and he was funny and he was entertaining. And so even though you were rooting for Rocky the whole time, for sure. Uh, every time the Carl Weathers was on the screen, he was he was very entertaining because he did such a wonderful job of sort of creating that um, you know that sort of Muhammad Ali lookalike sort of thing. That um, for a guy that had really very little acting experience, was really an amazing performance.
4: So, as a child of the 80s, if you were 11, 12, 13 years old back then, Glenn and Ray, you couldn't escape. Carl Weathers, and I mean that in the best way possible. It wasn't just Rocky, Rocky Two, II, Rocky Three, Rocky Four when he his character dies hey, in the hey, movie.
2: Hey, spoiler alert! <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's only been what
4: uh, thirty nine years when his character dies in the movie, and you're a kid. You're like, oh my gosh, they killed Apollo. But it's not just that; it's Predator. Yeah. It's a dopey, lethal weapon kind of sort of facsimile called Action Jackson. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh. And these movies, it's later Happy Gilmore, and these movies are on cable all the time. You just watch them over and over again, and he's terrific in all of them. And as, as Ray said, it's an underrated aspect of that Rocky series that you need a great quote-unquote villain. And the fact that Weathers was as great as he was, particularly in the first two movies, where he's going to give the underdog a shot. Southpaw, nothing. I'll drop him in three. Yeah. That whole ethos of I'm the champ and I can't be beat. And then in Rocky II, it's no, I got to fight this guy again because I didn't beat him badly enough the first time. People don't believe I won. People don't believe I won. He was a wonderful actor and really somebody who I think a certain generation of pop culture consumers really, really loved and appreciated.
10: Yeah, definitely, definitely. One of the great lines in Rocky II was the line where he, and where Tony, his trainer, is trying to convince him, you don't want to fight this guy again. This guy is bad news. We don't need him. He don't, we don't need him in our life. And, and Apollo says, yeah, I, and he says, you won, the first, you won the fight. He says, yeah, I won, but I didn't beat him. Yeah. Which is which 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 really kind of said it all. Uh, And uh, he's 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 very convincing. I mean, he's a he's a really convincing actor. And, you know, I had the chance to meet him and interview him. And um, and he was great. I mean, it was really it was really a fun interview. Was
2: that an NFL films thing?
10: No, it was. uh, I was still at the Philadelphia Bulletin in 79. uh, And they were premiering Rocky II here in Philadelphia. So they brought all of the stars. Oh, it, cool. they, they brought all the stars into Philly for the occasion, uh, and I was actually uh, I was actually set up to do an interview with Stallone, and they called me that morning and they said he can't do it. He's he, you know they want him at City Hall. They're having some kind of a reception for him at City Hall, so he has to be there. But you know we can get you Carl Weathers. Um, so I said okay, sure, I'll take Carl Weathers. So I met him at the uh, at his suite at the uh, Barclay Hotel right here on Rittenhouse Square. Um, and when I went in and introduced myself, and we started talking, and he said, Are "You oh, so you're a movie critic?" And uh, I said, "No, I'm I'm a football writer." And his face just lit up. Ah. It was just, "Oh God, here's a chance for me to talk about football." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, and so he had. There were like six other reporters that were sitting in the ante room waiting to interview Carl Weathers, and we were supposed to roll through there like 20 minutes apiece. Carl Weathers kept those guys waiting for like an hour. Because he he he's, he doesn't he just didn't get a chance to talk about his football career that much. So when he did, um, he, I mean he just he was just loving it. And he told me, um, I'll try, I'll very quickly, is that he played at San Diego State. And San Diego State his senior year at San Diego State they were undefeated.
4: Who was um, their head coach, Ray?
10: Don Coriel. Don Coriel, yeah. Ah. And and okay, I'll, I'll take it even one step further. Offensive coordinator, um, offensive coordinator was Joe Gibbs. And the defensive coordinator was John Madden. Wow! No wonder they
4: went undefeated. Yeah. And
10: and their quarterback and their quarterback was Brian Seip. And uh, the other Cleveland Brown, Carl Carl was playing. Carl was playing one defensive end position, and the other defensive end was Fred Dreyer, who later was who was a number one draft pick of the Giants, and then later went on and became an actor himself. Hunter. Yep. Yep. So. So. You know, Carl Weathers was telling me all of this stuff, and just loved talking about his football career. And um, and he, I I informed him that he had had a little bit of Philadelphia football history uh, that he played in the first night game ever at Franklin Field. About that? He he was unaware of that. It was the, the preseason opener in 1970. They had just installed lights at Franklin Field and uh, the first game that the Eagles played that preseason was against those Oakland Raiders. That's so something. Carl Weathers actually played in that game. But he was, he was a really, really nice guy, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, when it was over, it was one of those things where he said, hey, when, I'll give you my address. When, when you write your story, could you mail it to me?
2: I'd like uh, to read mail it to me.
10: N- not that many guys, not the many guys <laughs> ask you for that, No. But, but he did, and so I sent it to him, and I got a very nice thank you back saying he really liked the article.
2: That's nice. So um, there's, a, uh, there's a clip – that you can find on YouTube of the choreography that Stallone and Carl Weathers put into that amazing 22 minute fight in Rocky one. Because before I watched that, I didn't know how choreographed it was. I just figured they had a few generalities and then they boxed a while and they ran the good stuff. But every single move in that was planned out. And so on. it's fascinating to watch. But my point of bringing this up, Ray, and and this is, I I think you have to be of a certain age to to know this. Mike, I'm assuming the first time you saw the movie was on TV. Yes. Yeah. I saw it in the theater when it came out Christmas of 76. Uh, Ray, I'm I'm sure you saw it in the theater the first time as well. Oh, yeah. And what I remember seeing that in the theater is people jumping up out of their seats and throwing punches in the air. Mm -hmm. And the audience in the movie theater being as if they were at the actual boxing match and how that movie gripped you and took you away. Ray, it was, it was an amazing thing to see.
10: It was, and you describe it very well, because I had, I had exactly the same experience. And, you know, you, of course, uh, were not here yet. You weren't in Philly yet. No,
2: I was in, uh, I was in college. One yeah, of, actually, one of the first dates I went on with my wife. There you go. She stayed with me. She loved it, actually.
4: Through all the, the, yeah, the because it was shadow boxing we were doing at the end of the movie? Yeah,
2: <laughs> I, but, but, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, what that movie was, as much as anything, was a romance. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sure.
10: It was, I mean, that's really what it was. It really was a love story, but um, you, the experience that I had seeing it seeing it in Philadelphia, I mean, you couldn't get in to see it in Philadelphia. I mean, you couldn't get a ticket. I mean, you tried, you tried to go every, you know, when you went, every, every performance was sold out for like weeks and weeks and weeks. You couldn't get in to see it uh, because it got, you know, everybody just loved it. And, you know, the word of mouth on it was so strong. I mean, everybody that went to see it were calling all their friends and saying, you've got to go see this movie. So if you were trying to get to see that movie in Philadelphia, even though it was playing like in every theater, well, good luck. Because, I mean, almost every show for, I mean, literally, I mean, weeks if not months was, was sold out.
2: Yeah,
4: it's underrated, I think, Ray, for its screenplay. You know, we've mentioned a couple of lines from it so far. But when Apollo Creed says, you know, Apollo Creed meets the Italian stallion, (laughs) sounds like a damn monster movie. And, you know, you get Rocky saying he doesn't want to be another just another bum from the neighborhood. It's such a well-written film that, to your point about the characters, I think that's another big reason why it has lasted as long as it has.
10: Yeah, it is, and and every one of them, even the, even this sort of I, I hate to refer to anybody as a minor character in a movie that won the Oscar, but you know, but the loan shark that he works for is a great character. Gazzo, Gazzo, you know, yeah, yeah. who, who, by the way, with I don't the, the inhaler? Know, yeah, I don't know. Don't you know this? He's he's the he's related to Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator. Is that of the right? Chiefs. Yeah, they're relatives. Really? Yeah, they're like cousins or something. Ray,
4: I think you just gave me a column idea for my week in Vegas. That's great. <laughs> Thank you.
10: Good trivia. I, def- I definitely think you should pursue that because it's never. Nobody's ever. Nobody's ever pursued it with Steve. Nobody's ever pursued it with Spags or asked him about it. I just saw. I just saw the actor talk about the fact that they were related.
2: Wow. Uh, I want to play something else because, as Mike said earlier, he he did a lot of other great movies. One of them, Ray. So Ray and I wrote this book together, the ultimate book of sports movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can still find it uh, really cheap on Amazon. I think it, what is Ray now? A, a buck twenty. Um, but anyway, we agreed Rocky was our number one movie, uh-huh. and Carl Weathers was a huge part of that. And Ray and I agreed by and large on most of the movies and how we ranked them one through a hundred. We had a couple small debates and so on. But there was one movie, actually two, that I really wanted in the book that Ray did not want in the book. And this is a sound cut from that movie. You have no idea who I am, do you? No, I
5: don't. Back in
10: 1965, Sports Illustrated said I was going to be the next Arnold
11: Palmer. Yeah, what happened? They wouldn't let me play on the Pro Tour anymore.
7: Oh, I'm sorry. Because you're black? Hell no. Damn alligator
11: bit my hand off. Oh, my God! Yeah, tournament down in Florida. I hooked my ball in the rough down by the lake. Damned alligator
2: just popped up. Cut me down in my prime. He got me. But I tore one of that guys out, though. Look at that. <laughs> pretty sick, chubs. Mike, name that movie. <laughs> Happy Gilmore. Ray, defend yourself. <laughs> you know what?
10: Just hearing that now, I'm re I'm rethinking it. I, I'm, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to put
7: it in the book. When, when he
4: says, "Damn alligator tore my arm." off. <laughs>
5: He <laughs> did
7: not
4: laugh. Oh my gosh!
2: Yeah, Ray. Ray doesn't like stupid comedy. Uh,
4: I'm not a huge Sandler comedy fan either, uh, no, no, but no, that yeah, movie makes that, me. That laugh. one's
2: really good. And and to Ray's credit, he's like, all right, go for it, whatever.
4: Yeah, I I I you know I'm I'm the book was
10: uh, was it was largely give and take. I mean, we compromised on a few different films. We put a couple in there that I liked and you didn't, and vice versa. Fair is fair, but you know, I think that I. You know, I think that the book holds up pretty well. By the way, um, he was also in the um, the the sequel to Guns of Navarone, which uh, wow. which which was uh, called Force 10 from Navarone, which wasn't nearly as good as the original, but he was also in that and was also very good. I I I thought everything I've ever seen him in, including some TV stuff, I thought he was really good. But the first thing that really shot him to stardom was was the Rocky series, and he was really an unknown. I mean, he was yep. really a bit yeah. player before that. I mean, and, and to come on and 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 do what he did uh, with a relatively minor acting background. To be that good right
2: out of the box is pretty amazing. And, by the way, the studio originally wanted to book Ken Norton Jr. Yeah. in that role, and uh, it did not. It fortunately, it did no, not occur. No, 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 Ken
10: Norton Jr., Ken Norton, the original. Oh,
2: Ken Norton. Yeah, I didn't mean yeah. Ken Norton Jr. Is the football player. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Excuse me. No, Ken Norton, the boxer, not the football yeah, player. Yeah,
4: and, and Weather's got an Emmy nomination within the last few years for The Mandalorian, the Star Wars oh, yeah, spinoff yeah, series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it speaks to his yeah. staying power as an actor. And, Ray, there was there was one other piece of bad news, not nearly as bad as Carl Weathers' death, but I know you are, like mm-hmm. me, a law and order addict. And uh-huh. the announcement came out from NBC yesterday that Sam Waterston, who's been playing Jack McCoy on that show for Lord knows how long, uh, is finally leaving your reaction to Jack McCoy hanging him up
10: oh, I'm very saddened by that i you know i i I thought the series suffered when he went from being the the lead prosecutor to being the actual d a when he became more desk bound and he sort of wasn't in the courtroom as much. you know I thought the series sort of suffered from that, but the years when he was the lead prosecutor, I thought he was just amazing, and yes. I don't think he ever won an Emmy for it I mean, he was nominated multiple times but i don't think i don't think he ever, i don't think he ever won for that, which was very which was i thought you know really poor judgment on the part of the voters because I thought his character i mean there are a lot of great characters in that whole series, as you know you 're a fan as well, but i mean the, the series I thought I thought he brought something to it that was unique. I mean, it was not an easy act. He, he had to follow Michael Moriarty. Yeah, was,
4: and it was great with Moriarty in it too. Who was
10: you know who originated the role and was really really good in it. But um, th- when they brought Waterston in, the Jack McCoy character was very very different than the Moriarty character, and uh, was edgier and was more inclined to kind of cut corners yep. and you know cheat a little bit actually, uh, sort of deal from the bottom of the deck just to get the conviction. And it made his character, I thought, really, really interesting. And and Waterston brought an authenticity to it that made you believe in him every time out. All right.
2: Ray Dingers, uh, I have a question. Is this the uh, first time you have been on WIP since your retirement and not been asked about football?
5: Yes, it is.
2: Well, let's keep we, it that we'll way. We'll keep it. We'll yes. keep it. We'll, we'll sign off here. we got to do another sports movie night, Ray. we got to bring one another one to the people.
10: Well, um, maybe we can do that. What maybe, do you think?
2: Uh, I think we should work on it. All right, okay. my friend. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Be well. All right. Take care, guys. Right, See you Thanks, go. Ray. Bye-bye. There's Ray. That was good. That was very good. I
4: think the reason Sam Waterston never got an Emmy for Jack McCoy is that he delivered too many lines like he was drunk. He had this tendency to go, and murder. Yeah. And it just sounded like he had been belting scotch before he started his closing argument. Works for me. Um... There we go. Greatest sound in TV history. It's a great one.
2: It is. It is a great and one. And
4: don't give me the SVU or the Criminal Intent. I want the original, and I want it neat. All right. Last,
2: uh, what we're watching. Note: um, Tomorrow night is uh, the beginning of the last season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Larry David. Yeah. HBO. I'm all in. As always, he's the best. Two one five
4: five
1: nine. Have you been really quick? Have you been following the media tories on right now? No, uh, he so he got interviewed by Variety the other day. He's hit Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers on the Today Show. He beat up Elmo on the Today Show. I you saw to, that, which yeah.
4: I fully support beating up Elmo. Yeah, like so that, he, he, he's yeah. jumped the shark a long time ago. Well, yeah, like, oh come
1: on. <laughs> yeah, Larry David is in, like full Larry David like Scrooge mood. They don't even ask him. They don't even bother asking him about the show because he just gets annoyed about it. He basically just drops like Society Takes. It's pretty funny.
2: Oh, that's good. I hope it's good. I, I saw an early review that said the last season was a uh... disappointment. I. I... I want it to go out on a, nah, on a good It'll be pretty, pretty good. All right, Doug and Penn Sockin, don't go anywhere. I promise I'll get you in the next segment. Uh, at noon, we're talking to Keith Pompey of the Inquirer about the Sixers, so we'll get your calls in before and after that. Mike Sealski, Glenn now on 94 WIP.
5: He's got the angle and the bucket.
2: And Embiid is down. Joel Embiid is down on the ground.
6: Uh, this will be the end of his night. He looks like he is in a great deal of pain here. Excellent defense by Kuminga.
1: Wait, actually, oh. I was right there. Excellent Landed defense. right on his
10: leg,
6: probably
1: hyper he
2: Here's excellent defense. I'll fall on you. Yeah.
4: Stan Van Gundy, not the greatest
2: uh, NBA analyst out there. Not a fan. That's Ian Eagle and Stan Van Gundy. Ian
4: not. Eagle, great. Stan Van Gundy, not so much.
2: And obviously the issue is uh, Joel Embiid's injury. We are joined by our friend Dr. Mark Pollard from Cooper Bone and Joint. How are you doing today, Doc?
4: I'm
12: great. Thanks for asking.
2: Okay. So uh, Joel Embiid has, according to reports, suffered a torn meniscus in his
4: left knee. Injured meniscus is what the team is saying. They are not acknowledging that, that it is uh, torn.
2: You know what? That is true. The team is saying that outside reports are saying that he has a torn meniscus. The extent of the tear, we don't know, but that's true. The team has not officially said that. Um, and I guess it could have been worse. It's meniscus. It's not. It's not cartilage. It's not. It's not. I'm sorry. It's cartilage. It's not ligament. Um, <clears throat> the team has said that he's not going to play this weekend. They're going to evaluate the treatment after that. Let us say he has, to some extent a tear in his meniscus by the way he has torn this before um what's the most likely course of action and how long give us a, like a time frame of what he might be out
12: sure um well there's a lot to unpack uh with kind of the way things have kind of gone down Um, He had, you know, this is the knee, I believe he had surgery on this knee for the meniscus uh, six years ago or so.
2: 2017.
12: Um, Yeah, and if I remember correctly, that was a surgery from which he was back fairly shortly thereafter, which would lead me to think that it was probably what's called a partial meniscectomy, where they nibble out the torn piece of meniscus. Um, when you have a, a tear in the meniscus, the meniscus is a cartilage spacer in between the, the femur bone and the tibia bone, and it functions essentially as a shock absorber and a stabilizer. Um, and so you know, when we're, it's, it's kind of like a, a structure made out of rubber, but when you stress it in the wrong way, you can actually get a tear in it. And that tear can either be something that creates a, a small flap like a hangnail, um, which is typically amenable to kind of shaving out or nibbling out the torn piece, almost like cutting off a hangnail at the base. Uh, the upside to that is that the recovery's fairly quick. Usually, as long as it's a small tear, the ramifications down the line aren't too bad. Um, uh, you know, the, the downside is that the meniscus is there for a reason. And when it's not there, oftentimes you can end up getting degenerative change or – Uh, irritation and pain Uh, and the worrisome thing I guess with how this has gone down for uh, Embiid is that he was having he was having symptoms in this knee leading up to this event that happened and you know the 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 thing that's worrying is is the knee starting to display some irritation from that previous meniscus injury or even. More worrisome is, is this a kind of tear? There are different tears that can actually uh, completely cut the meniscus in half, rendering it essentially non-functional, which can have kind of severe effects down mm-hmm. the line. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, some of these events and, and things are kind of worrisome. The best-case scenario is he just, you know, had irritated his knee, needed a little bit of rest, and and it'll be better. But the fact that they're calling it a meniscus injury um you know, which there's, you know, you can have a meniscal bruise, I suppose, but, you know, probably 99 times out of 100 a meniscus injury is would represent a tear.
4: Doctor, you anticipated my question, which was, could this be anything other than a tear? And why would the Sixers not just acknowledge that he has a torn meniscus?
12: I think part of it is there's some difficulty, you know, determining the timing, determining what happens. Uh... Oftentimes, the way that you diagnose a meniscus tear is getting an MRI study, and essentially you diagnose it as a tear by noticing that there's not meniscus tissue where there should be. There's a like missing meniscus tissue. And that would, by definition, be the case if you did have a you know, partial meniscectomy surgery previously. So it's notoriously difficult to interpret an MRI to see, Gee, is this a new meniscus tear or is this just the old, uh, you know, the outcome of the old partial meniscectomy, and you know, the, you know, thus representing an aggravation of a chronic condition, as opposed to a new acute injury.
2: Um, and I know I've asked you this question before with other situations. Uh, he is seven foot two ish, over three hundred pounds. Uh, what is the impact uh, on the size when the patient is that much larger? And his job is to have constant impact on the knee.
12: yeah it's uh you know he he's gonna put more force on it than some you know little ninety pound gymnast um and that force has to go through the meniscus uh you know his tissues are probably a little hardier than you know most uh, uh tiny peoples, but there's a limit to how much the biology can can withstand, mm-hmm. so I guess you're asking is he more prone to getting uh, uh, these kind of injuries which uh, intuitively you would think yes
2: yeah. All right, well, there you go. Well, I imagine we will have further discussions with you about Joel Embiid, Doc. <laughs>
4: That's the way of the world, Probably not the last time. We've
2: spent a lot of time talking about it, it we, seems. Well, yeah, it's, it's on our greatest hits list. Um, hey, have a good weekend. All right, thanks. You too. Right, you Thank go. you, Doctor. Yeah, I don't know, man.
5: Where, what uh, do you do? There's nothing that can do. There's be done.
2: nothing you can do, and you hope that he comes back. We're going to talk to Keith Pompey coming up, and you hope you get a season. You hope the season's not lost. This yeah. is, is all you hope. All right, Doug and has been very patient. Let's get him up here. Hey there, Doug. Thanks for your patience.
6: How you doing?
4: All right. Hey, Doug.
6: Just fathom that a player with that much talent is made of paper and glass, you know? Mm.
4: It's not good. It's not good. It's and, and like I said, I think they're stuck. You can't trade him. You're not going to get value back for him. He's too great when he's available. Uh, but I think they're just going to be dealing with this until his career ends.
8: I don't know.
6: Maybe we can just stick him in a pod somewhere and then just need him for the playoffs.
4: <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>
6: at that point. Well, anyway, I'll get to my uh, point about the uh, Taylor Swift. Um, so I think that people uh, are lashing about Taylor Swift because the writing's kind of been on the wall. The Chiefs are now emerging as the new villain in the NFL, you know, with the Patriots dynasty breaking up, and we're not stupid. A lot of calls seem to go their way throughout this current run that they've been on, and you know now that Taylor Swift is in the fold too, it kind of feeds in that conspiracy theory that the NFL wants to see the Chiefs win, Taylor Swift is there, the Swifties are more eyeballs on the TVs and buying more merchandise. That's, I think, the reason people have a gripe right now at the NFL, as far as Super Bowl goes. Does that makes
4: sense? I think it makes sense that people look at it that way. I think it makes absolutely no sense that the NFL would want a fixed outcome and want one team above every other team to uh, challenge for the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl every single year. I just don't understand this kind of conspiracy-minded way of looking at the world. I just don't get it. I don't see what the NFL gains by fixing it so that the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl every year. I just don't get it.
6: Well, when you look at it, officially the NFL has kind of shifted more from just a sports institution to more of an entertainment institution now because now you have all this online betting going on. And I got a lot of friends that are in the online betting. They do all the band-duel, whatever, it's, whatever. And they say that their bets usually come up short when teams start, you know, when they start blowing out the other opponent. They start resting their starters, and they need to squeeze out another yeah. ten yards to make their, their spread or whatever.
2: Yeah.
4: Well, but that that's, that says more about your friends than it does about the NFL. No yeah. Offense, and and here and here's the th- and
2: thank you, Doug. I appreciate the call. The one thing that could kill the NFL is if people come to believe or it's actually true, that the fix is in. Exactly. It only works if it's honest. Exactly. You're always going to have people who say, it's fixed, right? I've been hearing, I got that call on WIP 25 years ago. Yes. Right? From from a guy who either lost his bet or saw something he thought was suspicious or whatever. You're always
4: going to have some people who say that. But if it ever actually holds to be true, they're dead. That's what part of what killed the XFL, is that it couldn't get the Vince McMahon pro wrestling stink off of it. Yeah. And you're 100% right, Glenn. If, if the NFL ever crosses that threshold where the outcome of games are in question because players are fixing it or the league is fixing it, it's over. It's done with. It's not professional sports anymore. If you, what do you think, when the playoffs began, do you think
2: Roger Goodell had any, in, you know just quietly, sitting in his house with his wife, you know who I'd like to see in the Super Bowl? You think he had any opinion on that? In Lions, one sense, because it's like all new and they've yeah, never gotten there. Yeah, in one sense, no.
4: In the other sense, I think he's standing back and looking at the outcomes and saying, "Okay, this could be great. We're going to have Taylor Swift in the Super Bowl. We're going to have the Detroit Lions, who have never been there before, right. and would be a great story
2: right. or whatever. A good matchup.
4: Good, good matchup. You know, they, We're going to have a good story. He's rooting for the storyline. Yes, yeah. and that's part of why people are paying attention to Taylor Swift is that it is a storyline, it is oh. a narrative. Let's check our poll. Hold on here. Oh, yeah, check yeah, the polls. Who, who do people like more, Tony Romo or Taylor no, Swift? No, who annoys people more? Was well, really. you like to put a negative spin on everything. <laughs> All right, here you go.
2: Who bothers you more during an NFL broadcast? Okay. That was the point. We are now with 36 minutes left to go in the poll. I did an hour and a half. 1,380 votes.
4: That's pretty good.
2: All right, here you go. Uh, you know what? I'll ask you to... to Tell me, what do you think is, uh, where do we lay?
4: I think it's 80% Tony Romo, 20% Taylor
2: Swift. 84% Tony Romo annoys them more, 16% Taylor Swift. And somebody wrote me like, yeah, you just say that because he's a cowboy. Troy Aikman doesn't annoy anybody on the broadcast.
4: Daryl Johnson doesn't annoy anybody. Anybody
2: on the broadcast. No, it's not about that. Yes, I don't even think Jimmy Johnson annoys people. He does the, the pregame stuff, but I don't think.
4: No, what, what annoys me is that Romo went from being the guy who predicted what was going to happen on every play because he had just retired and knew the ins and outs of every team's offense and play calls to a guy who clearly is not prepared yeah, for these telecasts. I don't
2: know, Jim. Yeah,
4: like uh, you're supposed to know this stuff. Yeah. You're supposed to be able to break it down for us in an intelligent, insightful way, and he doesn't do it.
2: 215 592 94 94. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94. WIP, if the cold winter hasn't endured, uh, hasn't yet, we've endured, hasn't yet, convinced you to replace your drafty, your inefficient windows and doors, maybe the great people at a Door and Window can help by giving you one more month to do so at the best prices of the year. You should be taking advantage of Gaida's big winter sale because this is your last chance to do so by receiving 40% off every window and door you buy. Yep. off each expertly installed energy-efficient replacement window that also includes free high-performance low-E glass and 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. You can buy now and pay later with Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans. Offer will expire at the end of February, so don't let this final chance for big savings pass you by. If your home needs new windows or doors, you call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free... In-home estimate at one eight seven seven 877 go or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com.
7: 68 points in a game. Chance at 70. Embiid.
5: Coast to coast for 70.
4: That was uh, Joel Embiid finishing off a 70-point performance few days back against the San Antonio Spurs and that and the fact that Joel is now out of the lineup again with what the Sixers are calling a meniscus injury compels us to bring in for my money the best beat writer on the Sixers my friend my colleague from the Philadelphia Inquirer Keith Pompey Keith how are you I hear you were up in Long Island at the moment
8: yeah I'm in what they call Strong Island I don't know (laughs) Yeah, I'm here at a, a volleyball tournament with my daughter.
4: Nice.
8: Yeah, support her for a day, you know.
4: <laughs> and while you're watching your daughter play volleyball, you are, I am sure, checking your phone for updates, if there are any, about Joel Embiid's status. As far as you know, Keith, where do things stand with Embiid now and how long he'll be out of the lineup and how serious? this meniscus injury is, all of that stuff, what can you tell us?
8: Yeah, like, you know, basically, you know, what's going on is, you know, they, they want to see what type of plan they're going to have and, you know, what you know what's the next step? Like, do you – are are you going to decide to get a procedure or are you not? Are you going to deal with the pain or whatever? Because whenever you say we're going to basically uh, have them off until the, through the weekend – and then we'll, we'll we'll decide like what the next step is. That's telling me that you have some options. So I, I think d- depending on what option he takes is is going to be how long it's going to be for him to stay out. From what I hear is like Joel wants to play. You know, he wants to you know help this team. We know that this is a, a pretty good team. They have a chance when everybody's healthy. They're they're undefeated. Believe it or not, when they're all healthy, they're undefeated, and they play some pretty good teams. So. I think that that's the next step right now is is just, you know, going through that consultation and then we'll see, you know, where they are from there.
2: Um, We're going to play a cut for you. Um, This is Draymond Green after the game the other night. And I want to ask you a question off of what what he says here. Here you go.
10: Joel playing tonight felt very much so because of the 65-game limit. You get Joel who comes out there tonight and he forces it. And Mm – freak play with him and uh, jk diving for the ball but maybe it's not as bad if the knee isn't already banged up i don't really bang with it and now we got one of our premier faces in this league the mvp of our
6: league possibly hurt for an extended period of time because he's forcing it
2: sorry didn't mean to interrupt you draymond okay so it, it really begs the question did he feel pressure um internally to play because either the league setting that sixty five minimum game for MVP or hearing the undercurrent that he was ducking uh Jokic or or anything else other than you know my job is to help my team do you think he felt pressure from anybody to play Hurt?
8: I a hundred percent believe that he played pressure to um he felt pressure to play Hurt. Mm. You know, Joel won't go out and admit it and admit that, but I spoke to enough people mm who are close to him. Um, you know, I, I know Joel and, you know, I he played he was pressured. I mean, you gotta understand something. And Draymond is right. Like I was in the building and that reminded me of an old boxer who came out of retirement and and he goes into the ring and he can't do it anymore. But he's fighting because of the pride and then he gets knocked out and then there's some like uh, there's some lingering damage afterwards. It looked bad, Mm y'all. And there was a lot of pressure. You know, I was also in the arena when he went to Denver, and you Mm -hmm. heard how not just the fans but media members were attacking him. And, you know, and then they said, okay, the only reason why he's not playing against uh, Portland is because it will look bad if he comes back and plays against Portland. And Joel came out, and he tried to play, A, because, you know, you know, the sixty five games thing is real. But also I felt like he felt he was pressured um to go out there and prove to everybody that he's a warrior. And it it was it was bad, y'all. You know, it was it was hard to watch to be honest with you, because again, he looked like a guy who was way past his prime going in there about to fight Mike Tyson, thinking he still had it, and he didn't.
4: Keith My feeling is that there isn't really anything the Sixers can do other than ride it out with Embiid. He's so great when he's healthy, and he's so not healthy so frequently that they can't trade him, and they're not going to really be able to build a championship team around him because he gets injured so often. It's not his fault. I'm not blaming him for that necessarily. It's just the reality of his situation. Is there anything that you think the Sixers can do to improve their situation or to um, build a better team around him, give themselves more of an assurance that they can contend for an NBA title uh, as long as Embiid is here? Or is it simply a matter of, hey, we'll take what we can get from him, we'll have these great moments, but we should prepare ourselves for the fact that he's probably going to get hurt and we're probably going to fall short of a championship?
8: I mean, I I think um, it's funny because I I felt like when Doc Rivers was here, he did the best thing is when he went out there and he got Andre Drummond. I mean, because, you know, Andre Drummond is a a legitimate center, a former all-star center. He struggles in the playoffs. But that's the type of guy you need if you're the 76ers for the regular season with Joel Embiid. Like, you need somebody that's going to, you know, take a lot of this – pressure off of him, you know, get, enable Joel to get some rest, you know, this and that. That's what you have to do um, be because it's like he can't log all these minutes. um, He just can't. Like, he has his injury history. Now, the one thing that you did point out and you did say is, like, it's, it's tough for the Sixers. You know, a lot of people will say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go and trade Joel. We're going to get all these assets, and we're going to do all this, but You know, the one team that came out was the New York Knicks, and nobody wanted anything the Knicks were uh, willing to give up. So I I feel like because of his injury history, although he is, you know, the best player in the league right now, you're not going to get equal value for him. And then secondly, when he is healthy, I mean, we saw what it was like. You know, we, we saw him, like he's bringing up, letting us know how great Wilt Chamberlain was because he's putting up numbers that we haven't seen since Wilt and as good as Joel's numbers are, they're not even close to Wilts, right? Yeah. Like, so it tells you that. So I don't feel like the Sixers are going to be able to get that uh, enough value for a Joel Embiid because of his injury history. And I and I don't think that they'll get a, a better player because, uh, for Joel Embiid. You know what I mean? So I'm with you. And, you know, it's a great column you wrote. And and I agree with it 100% because it's one of those things. But I do feel like, when you look back at it, they had Andre Drummond, who's a great guy, who, who's willing to be a backup. You know, they didn't miss a beat when when Joel Embiid was out. But again, you wanted to go get James Harden, and we and we understand yeah. that. And you and you lost the perfect piece, in my opinion.
2: So Paul Reed and Mobamba hold down uh, the uh, hold it down for a while. How do we feel about that?
8: You know what? I, you know it's crazy because the thing about it is I, I feel like I, I like I like I like Paul Reed a lot, right? I do. But the problem with Paul Reed is, you know, he's a power forward strapped. I mean, well, excuse me, he's a center trapped in a power forward's body. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, like the one game where he went out there and, and against Nikola Jokic, he played extremely well. But you can't expect him to do that day in and day out. Mo Bamba, I like Mo Bamba too. But the thing about Mobamba, he has to be a little bit more consistent, right? He has to bring it all the time. He, You know, he has to be more self-motivated. Um, but for right now, like, you know, I, I do think that the 76ers, and this isn't a knock at either neither one of them, but I think that that's something that you need to address. you got to bring in another center. You do. You have to bring in somebody that's just going to help you out because of, you know, the inconsistencies of the other two guys, you know.
4: We're talking to uh, Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Sixers beat reporter extraordinaire. Keith, Tyrese Maxey had 51 points the other night. He's an all-star for the first time. Are we scratching the surface of seeing what he can be as a player, and can he get to the point where even if they don't have an Embiid, they can surprise people and win a few games down the stretch and even in the postseason because of Maxey?
8: Nah, I don't think that's going to happen. Not this <laughs> Come on, Keith, roll that's with like, me. I mean, I mean and, and, and it's not a knock against Maxi. I mean, here's the thing. So the thing is, I, and, and Maxie has yet to scratch the surface of the player that he can become, right? But I, I think that a lot of people realize how explosive he is. I just feel like in the playoff-type setting, whereas if you don't have a Joel Embiid, Maxie is going to become so much easier to guard. People are going to try to force him to go another way. They're going to do a lot of other things with him. They're going to get extremely physical with him. You know, I feel like that 51 points, that was that was great by him. It really was. But I feel like a lot of his success that he had this season was based off of, you know, playing off of Embiid and, and, and getting certain looks because of Embiid was on the floor. It's going to be a whole lot easier to guard him in, in the postseason. You know what I mean? So, again, I, I think that he's going to be great. Uh, he is an all-star. You know, he's the guy that you're going to take um, – when Embiid does leave, he's going to hand the keys to him and say, hey, look, now is your time to drive, this, drive the thing. But I do think that with him, I, I like a guy like DeJounte Murray. I think that he would be able to take some pressure off of Tyrese, you know, because of – you know, he's a big guard. He can defend. He can do some things. It will free Tyrese up because even with those 51 points, he only had one assist. Yep. So it will free Tyrese up to just don't worry about getting others involved. I'm just going to do what I have to do. So, you know, I, I think in order for them to go far, Tyrese is going to have to get, you know, a backcourt mate who can play or like on the ball and off the ball, to be able to free him up to get to certain spots and be more of a just attacker instead of a, a facilitator. All right, so
2: the trade deadline's a couple days away. The Sixers will do what?
8: I don't think they're going to they're going to make a major move. I, I think that they will make a move. I think that they'll, they'll do something around the edges. You know what I mean? But I don't see like that that All Star caliber player that everybody thinks is going to come. I don't see them doing that. I don't I don't think that you know, that type of player is out there j- just yet that's going to be able to help them. So I can see them, you know, getting maybe a role player, a guy who can, like, help from that percentage, but I don't see them getting that all-star player that everybody thinks that they need to get.
2: All right, I have one last question for you, and I, and I say this, Keith Pompey, with all due respect and affection. Mm-hmm. Why are you such a troll on social media to people in this town?
4: You know why? Because
2: why do fun. you do this to people,
4: Keith? For it's those fun. who don't know, are is a big New York Giants fan and likes to yeah. poke fun at Eagles fans all the time. Oh gosh, yeah. all
2: the like, in, in, as like twenty minutes after the Eagles lose, I'm seeing you putting up the Michael Jordan emoji in in a Jalen Hurts jersey. Like, what are you doing? Keith, what are you doing to people? Why are you doing this?
8: Because it's funny, because they're like, because I know everybody wants to say, dude, your team is trash. They think.
2: I'm not even going there. I'm telling you that you're part of this town now, my friend.
8: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, you know, it's funny. I grew up in Frankfurt. You know, I'm from Philly, the whole nine. But to me, it's just me just poking fun with my friends and everything. Like, they all get it. It's like, I've been a troll my whole life. Right? Definitely. <laughs> you
2: are You are a troll. You're good at it.
4: You are and good I, at it, but you are a troll. Well, hey, as a fellow troll, it's one of the reasons I love Keith, and keep, keep being you, man. Keep being you. Yeah, can
8: I share this with y'all real quick? When sure. I was at North Carolina, I got burnt for a touchdown one play, right? So the guy comes back, and I said, I bet you you won't burn me again. <laughs> right? <laughs> burn And again. I dare you. So, like, I've been trolling my trolling people and myself my entire life, so everybody just gets a joke out of it, you
4: know? It was the Izel Jenkins of North Catholic right there, <laughs> Keith Pompey. Yeah, <laughs> post. <laughs> Keith, thanks so much, man. Get back to your daughter's volleyball game and have a safe trip home from Long Island.
8: All right, y'all. Hey, thanks for having me on. I All really right. appreciate you it. Guys. Thank
4: you, got you it. so much. That was Keith Pompey on the Sixers. Carl in Ardmore wants to weigh in on Joel Embiid. Perfect timing. Carl, what do you got?
11: Can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah. yeah. We got you loud and clear.
5: Okay.
11: I'm walking, and I want to thank you guys for making my Saturday walks enjoyable. You, you guys are terrific. you. Thank really you really are. You, you, you know, and the best thing about you too is you don't talk about yourselves. You talk about the topic, which is what I think I most people want. And Your callers are also more sophisticated yeah, yeah. than during the we, week.
2: So. You sound like you're on, like, mile 10 here. Yeah, man.
11: <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's two out of force. Anyhow, now that I've blown you up, give me – a few minutes. Number one, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, retired, and I want to address uh, Embiid's injury. The lateral meniscus, I've heard all kinds of stuff on the air. Oh, my kid had that done. He was back in four weeks or just to clean out. What's troubling is, I believe, he had the same problem in the past for which he was operated on. Yes, Is that correct? That is correct. All right, so here's the deal. If he had a suture, which is called a meniscus to repair it, which for a young person is best, and he's retorned it, that's that's not good. good, which means the likelihood of re-suturing it or re-repairing it is very small, so he'll need the piece removed. Removing the piece will accelerate whatever arthritis is in the carts for him. So if, if best they could do a quick, quote, clean-out, unquote, but in the long run, he's going to have a problem. So, so, so what,
4: you're, what you're saying, Carl, is that this is a lot more serious than people might at first understand. Correct, correct. And I don't know anything more than
11: what I hear on the radio I haven't seen his MRI, and I certainly haven't examined him, but um, he could be out for a long time, depending on what they decide to do, or if they just cut the piece out, he will be back shortly, but neither one is a good thing for him.
4: Carl, thank you so much for the call, and good luck with the rest of your run. That's not good to hear, Glenn. And, look, I can understand why the Sixers are downplaying this, calling in an injury, but if it's a tear, and Carl is right, any good.
2: You know how he just praised us for not talking about ourselves? Yeah. Which is, by the way, not true because it's part of the job. It's but, all you do. Uh, well, I can't ab- stop you. about to do it again. It's like,
4: Glenn, Glenn, glen, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn. Me, 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 me.
2: So as somebody who had 10 knee surgeries? Yeah. I can tell you that each one gets progressively worse and more damaging. Um, I, well, for me, maybe that's not the case for him, but- it stands to reason when you go in there once, and then you go in there again, and if you have to do it again, it's going to be worse, and that's how it works. Maybe it's a small thing, and they can do something temporary, and, and but the long-term prognosis is rough.
4: No, it's it's not great, and he's, he seems to be falling into that category of big men who just have health problems, Bill Walton, Greg Oden.
2: Well, the comparison I saw this week, and he's already surpassed this guy, but was Yao Ming. Yep who had a tragic
4: career because what he could have been. Oh, he was he was great when he was available, um, and Daryl Morey knows well how good Yao Ming was, and here we are again with Joel Embiid. Anyway, we got to hit a break. Uh, coming up in the next segment, we will obviously take your calls at 215-592-9494. We're going to get into a little bit of a different topic, talk a little bit of Villanova basketball because there's some interesting stuff going on there with their head coach and – and uh, how it relates to Chip Kelly. Exactly. We can tie it to Chip Kelly, and if you're not intrigued by that, I don't know what would intrigue you. He is Glenn Now I am Mike Sealski. 94 WIP. Ooh. 94 WIP with Glenn Macnow. I am Mike Sealski, we are still taking your calls, of course, if you want to weigh in about Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, the Sixers, the Flyers, the Eagles, coaches, all manner of stuff, if you want to share your favorite Carl Weathers memory. Here we go. Five minutes to go in the survey. Romo's
2: going to have to start getting some support quickly. (laughs) Uh, We are 1,676 votes in. That's a lot of votes. Hey, I appreciate people listening to the show. Um, The poll, What? who bothers you more during an NFL broadcast? Taylor Swift, 16%, Tony Romo, 84%. Wow. I don't See? Th- I don't think she's going to catch America
4: that loves support. Taylor Swift and hates Tony Romo, I, and that's the way things should be. I honestly think 90% of the
2: people who watch the broadcast are perfectly fine. If, if they don't love Taylor Swift, they're just like, okay, that's yeah. his girlfriend. And and you pointed out earlier many, many times when this has happened before overtime, including, by the way, with Tony Romo's
4: girlfriend. Exactly. When, when Jessica Simpson. Yes, they used to show. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. Um, speaking of nuts, we were just talking about this during the break because I am flying out to Las Vegas tomorrow to cover the Super Bowl between the 49ers and the Chiefs. I know everybody in Philadelphia is eagerly anticipating that game, two of their favorite franchises around here. <laughs> Uh, but one of the changes to the itinerary of the week, and Glenn, you know this, there's kind of a regimented schedule during the week for media availability and coverage during the Super Bowl. Monday night is going to be media night mm-hmm. with all the players and coaches available, and it's become a big spectacle, and it's got all those nutty people who are oddly dressed asking strange questions of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Brock Purdy and all that stuff. And then you get availabilities during the week before it. You get to the game on Sunday. But the one big change is that Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, who up until this year had always given his press conference in the middle of the week, is holding a press conference tomorrow at 3 o'clock Las Vegas time. Here's the big difference. It's invitation only.
2: So is that so that you don't get the crazy people dressed up as whatever, you know, Jesus Christ saying, if you could be any tree, what would you be? Is that so you don't get that nonsense?
4: No, because that never happened at those press conferences before. that
2: happens at the ones during the
4: week. Yes. But not that one. No, what you get out of these press conferences, or at least had gotten in years past, were pointed intelligent questions of the commissioner about certain issues that the NFL doesn't want brought to the forefront. And here's the league now saying, okay, Roger Goodell, we will put you out there, but we will handpick. The media who will be asking you questions
2: so you're with the philadelphia Inquirer. yeah i am still what i they, hope i hope i haven't
4: they, i haven't learned anything new in the last two and a half very, hours very
2: important respected newspaper in this country so who's going for the Inquirer?
4: no one no one none of us were invited
2: what the Inquirer is not not invited yes So how, who is invited
4: see i think i don't know who is invited i suspect well, it's not be, you who I suspect it's going to be people from the NFL Network and certain people from ESPN yes. and certain handpicked people from other outlets that's who are their, known to that's be their partners. Ah, well,
2: that's their financial partners. Yes. Well, that's not right.
4: Well, it's not right, but it's reality. Unfortunately, well, I don't think he, it's right how does either. He but get
2: away with ducking that? I guess he's the commissioner. He's the he commissioner. They can do what they
4: want. They can do what they that's want.
2: Disgusting.
4: I know, but it's it speaks to kind of the the way institutions handle. Press and media, we see this in politics all the time, where politicians give interviews only to interviewees who are interviewers who are going to be favorable to them and things of that nature. Or, so,
2: or a Flyers coach refuses to answer questions from uh, the, the reporter who wrote something he didn't like.
4: There you go. Or a Flyers oh. player curses out a you know a writer who <laughs> writes things he doesn't like. I've been on that at the end of that the, as well.
2: What was the word he used?
4: What was the word? Uh, weasel. Weasel. Yes. That's with with an expletive in front of it, a, a very descriptive expletive Weasel. right in front of it. Yeah, good times, yeah, good times. There you go. um, Glenn, I did want to mention something a little off the beaten path with respect to topics that get talked about on this station. I was at uh, Villanova on Tuesday night to write a column about off of their game against Marquette and specifically about their head coach, Kyle Neptune. If you remember when we did a show at the end of the year, you and I talked about coaches who would be on the hot seat. Yep. This year in Philadelphia. And you mentioned Nick Sirianni, and you were right on the money with that. It didn't even take a week for him to be on the hot seat. <laughs> uh, uh, and I mentioned Kyle Neptune. And there's a really interesting situation developing out there on the main line. Villanova is 11-10 and 10 this season. They have lost six out of their last seven games. That might sound familiar to people uh, because that's the same stretch that the Eagles went through. They're 4-6 and six in the Big East, which is the third worst record. Within that conference, yeah. only Georgetown and DePaul are worse. And there's some discomfort on Lancaster Avenue about the state of the program, its place in kind of the world of NIL, and whether Kyle is the right coach to move this program forward. You mentioned before we went to break the tie in to Chip Kelly. I would really like you to kind of flesh that out for the All
2: listeners. All right, well, a couple of things. Uh, it was very interesting this week that the coach of Boston College football program mm-hmm. decided to take a job as the—was the offense coordinator of the Raiders? Is that what he took?
4: Or was it the Packers? The, I Packers, it was, the yes. Packers, the Packers, the Packers, the Packers,
2: excuse me. Yeah, uh, coordinator of the Packers. Because you don't have coaches from big-time college programs, and B.C. is a big-time college program, Going to the NFL to become coordinators and right. go to become head coaches, not coordinators. Like, why would he leave? And then there's a story gaining some traction that Chip Kelly is looking to leave. Again, a big major college program in well, it used to be a conference. I don't even know. What, what <laughs> I are they don't know now? where it is they, now. And where it they plays are. in
4: the suburban one league,
2: right? To to leave to become an NFL coordinator with Washington. Yes, he would become the uh, God. Make it happen. <laughs> Just for the stories. Just for the for, stories. Oh, it would be wonderful. God, it yeah, would be blame. great we're gonna, for we're us. Play, we're going to play the Eagles this week. We're going uh, to run fast. So it'll be good. So great for us. Anyway, um, and why Why would he do that? he go to Washington. It's right. A, so the reason is because what used to be a great job to be a college head football coach is now becoming a bad job. and It's becoming a bad job because of the transfer portal Mm -hmm. where you you can have your team and then they can just leave. Yes. Uh, And as I think you said to me, you're in the position where you got to re-recruit everybody every year on your team, 90 guys on your team. It's like, well, where are you now? What are you doing? And because of the NIL, which in theory I agree with because it wasn't fair that, you know, a kid could walk into a university bookstore and they're selling his jersey and making money and he's making nothing. It's not fair. But it's swung so far over to the other side that it's a broken system. And to be a college football, college anything coach, big time college coach, is just becoming more and more untenable.
4: Yeah. As bad as it is with football, it's almost equally as bad in basketball because of the smaller roster and the importance of each individual player. Right. You could lose your best player because he's unhappy about whatever and wants to transfer. And with respect, to bring it back to Villanova, and I suspect this is what's going on at the college level in football as well, is that instead of boosters funding a capital project or a practice facility or a new arena, the money they are giving is going directly to the players. And so the expectations on those players and from the boosters and the supporters is even higher. Hey, we donated this money so that Villanova would get a point guard. And we're not happy with the point guard that Villanova has. Or we're not happy with the coach developing that point guard. And we want things to be better. And if they don't get better, we're going to ask for the coach to be fired or we're not going to give money. And it's really changed the dynamic a lot. And I think that's part of what Kyle Neptune is feeling right now at Villanova. Never mind the fact that he's following a legend in Jay Wright, a guy who runs Two national championships is in the Hall of Fame.
2: Would you say they're nine and eleven?
4: They're eleven and ten.
2: Eleven and ten. Excuse me. They're eleven and ten, which Villanova hasn't seen eleven and ten in a long time.
4: Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's just interesting thing to think about because we don't talk about college sports very much on this station, uh, but Villanova's men's basketball program is an exception. It moves the needle in that regard, and what's happening out there on Lancaster Avenue right now uh, is worth keeping an eye on. Carl in Maple Shade wants to talk about. That other coach under fire that Glenn mentioned, Nick Sirianni. Go ahead, Carl.
11: Hey, guys. Hey.
4: Hi, Carl.
11: Good afternoon to you.
12: I think the most important thing for the Eagles is for this coach to be empowered again by his coordinators in a certain way publicly where they say, Nick gives us total control. We take our plan to about 80%, and then we go
11: to our coach. Our head coach Nick, and he helps us complete our plan. Both sides of the ball where well, they empower him
4: to yeah. a
11: certain point.
4: I think I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying, Carl. I think that we can overstate how powerless, so to speak, Nick Sirianni may or may not be. There are a lot of NFL head coaches who oversee the whole operation, who don't call plays on offense, who don't call the defensive signals, who are just in charge of the whole schmear. And so in that regard, I think it's not unusual to look at Nick Sirianni and say, okay, this is the kind of coach he's going to be. Glenn, to your point, though, I think the issue is they lost six of their last seven games. Whatever he was trying to do to put the puzzle and the pieces back together wasn't working. And if it goes bad again, do you trust that he's going to be able to do it? No, and he
2: can have total power and authority at the beginning of the year, and that'll be great. But again, if they're one and three, that's a bad thing, and I I don't know that he's going to survive that. I really don't. Um, and and to your point, like okay, if he's not calling the plays and he's not ready, what is he doing? Um, the Lions. Yeah. Uh, Dan Campbell was not didn't wasn't the no. coordinator of either side this year. Correct. Right, and was that CEO coach. And I like Dan Campbell, and they had a great season. That game that they lost last weekend, what did that turn on?
4: A fourth, couple fourth down calls, yeah. And who makes those calls? Yeah, the coach does. Right. The he, coach.
2: He makes those decisions, and he won games mm-hmm. this year by doing that, and he lost that game because – I, and not entirely. There were other things right. he did, you know, they were clearly. But I think that was a big part of it. Votes are in.
4: OK. polls
2: closed. Here we go. Final results. 1813 votes we got in an hour and a half.: That's pretty good. Tony Romo is more uh, bothers people more than Taylor Swift by a score of 84 percent to 16 percent. The people have spoken, Mike sealsky.: Yeah,
4: look, Tony Romo's in your ear the entire game, saying nonsense. So of course, you know, in a way that reaffirms and reestablishes my faith in people's good sense, that they can listen to Tony Romo and understand that he is causing them far more annoyance during a game than Taylor Swift is. So little piece of normalcy there.
1: The Thank polls goodness, are closed, so but if you're in line, you can still wait and cast your vote. Yeah, right.
4: Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be like all the cable networks that announce the results before anybody's voted yet. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Anyway, coming up, we're going to uh, pick the brain of our producer, Dan Wilson. He's going to remind us what we talked about. Uh, what well, we forgot to talk about, excuse me, we can still get in a call or two with 215-592-9494 if you want to weigh in on anything we have or have not discussed so far during the show. Glenn Macnow, Mike Sealski on 94 WIP. Mike Sealski and Glenn Macnow closing out our show here on 94 WIP. Coming up next, we have Go Birds Radio with James Seltzer and Elliot Shore Parks at Parks Casino on Street Road. Yes, sir?
2: I want to tell people a really good show I saw last night. Play. Okay. Uh, not TV, but play. I went uh, down into the city. 1812 Productions has a thing called the Flatlanders. Uh, Bruce Graham wrote it. Bruce Graham is a, a terrific local uh, playwright. He Did, did, the, did the Philly the, the, Fan? Yeah, he did The Philly Fan, which, by the way, he redid. In the last couple of years, because the whole premise of the first one is we never win. Mm-hmm. So he redid it with the protagonist sitting on a couch about to watch Super Bowl 52, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. But this thing is the Flatlanders. It's about a local couple uh, lives in uh, South Philly and they go up to the Poconos uh, and get caught in a snowstorm and get stuck in a house. Ah. Uh, and it's just, it's just two people in a room for whatever, they run of 80 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And it's just brilliant. And he just wrote it brilliant. Jen Childs, who's a woman who I've watched a lot, do the 1812 stuff, and her husband, uh, Greer, uh, did this thing, and it's just, it's great. So if you have a chance to go see it, go see it.
4: I am a sucker for any kind of play that has at most four characters in the entire show. Something like Tommy and Me, Or, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, or Sleuth, or something like that. Tommy
2: and me, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? First time they were ever used in the same sentence. Hey, we
4: are here to break (laughs) ground in terms of creative culture and all kinds of stuff. So, that's what you did last night. What do you got on your agenda today?
2: Uh, The three-year-old's coming over, and we are uh, taking him for the day babysitting. I'm sure it will involve a train ride, which is his favorite thing in the world. We just. We get on the P&W train, we take it out to wherever, Wayne, and we'll probably go to the library uh, and uh, read books about trains and then take the train home, and he's staying for dinner and he's sleeping over, so big time.
4: I I wish I loved anything as much as... Your grandson Gregory loves oh, trains. Oh, my God. Lives for,
2: <laughs> just lives for reading about him, watching awesome. videos about him, taking the train. It's just infatuated.
4: You know what I live for? I live for the insights from our producer, Dan Wilson, who's going to tell us what we forgot to talk about. Dan, hit it. Coming
2: up, we look at the uh, big don't. brain of Dan Wilson. <laughs> you know, just burn that thing. Would you please?
1: <laughs> I used the better one. It's the big brain of You know Wilson. what?
2: Actually, that one didn't bother me. I anticipated the one I didn't like.
1: That's yeah, no, I, I cut that one out. Yeah, good. Per I'm, your request. Uh, that's good. Yeah. Um. So, a couple things going on this weekend. Uh, we didn't hit it all. I mean, I know it's kind of the same beaten down stuff, but it is All-Star weekend, both for the NHL and the NFL. We have the NHL All-Star game. Travis Konechny will be playing in that. The skills challenges were last night. On uh, the Pro Bowl, quite a bit of Eagles. Landon Dickerson, Jalen Hurts, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, Hassan Reddick, Darius Slay, and DeAndre Swift. They'll all be playing flag football tomorrow. Get excited!
4: It's like a day at training camp at Novacare. My I, gosh!
2: I'm, I'm telling you, somebody's going to get hurt in their flag football game, and then they'll stop.
4: We the TV,
2: so the TV's on in here, and yes. they're rerunning um, on the NFL Network. We were watching before, and I couldn't believe what we were watching. It was centers, yes. snapping the ball, trying to be long snappers. Which, by the way, they're not particularly good at. Exactly, they're not long right. Trying to there's a wall, whatever, fifteen yards behind them. With holes in the wall, and if they throw the ball through the hole, they get those. Yeah, number it's of a points. boardwalk game. Yeah, it's pit. It's yeah, uh, ski ball. Yep w- for for long snapper. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. What was that? They want, that's
4: entertainment. They want to present professional football players as regular human beings. All right, man. so let me
2: ask both of you guys. Well, that'll get ratings, won't it?
4: It's the NFL. Right?
2: Of course, it will. They'll, people will watch that. Yes.
4: And it's Jason Kelsey. Of course it'll get uh, we were, yeah, we
1: Jason were... Kelsey was in the snapping contest. Oh, well, yeah, I would guess. How'd he do? Uh, not, he aimed for the five. Fu- so there was a five in the middle. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. like going in skee-ball for the 1,000 every time. Mm-hmm. And he only went for fives. So he only got one five at the end because he didn't try and play the conservative route. He kind of went all in. So he did not. I don't think he did all that well. But, uh, you know, it was nice to see. His
4: him. quote was, go big or go home, which I think is what he yells before he takes his shirt off after he's been drinking before a game. <laughs> Anyway, Dan, what else you got? Yeah,
1: so another cool story out of the NFL this weekend. So Mark Andrews, tight end for the Ravens, who his season uh, came to an end, uh, flying home to the Phoenix area after his season ended uh, from Baltimore to Phoenix on a Southwest Airlines flight and quite literally might have saved a woman's life. This is directly uh, from a story on ESPN.com that on Thursday, Andrews assisted a woman who experienced a medical emergency during a Southwest flight from Baltimore to Phoenix. Andrews, who's a type one diabetic himself, provided a diabetic testing kit that led to the woman being stabilized for the rest of the flight until they were able to make a landing.
4: Mark Andrews, a genuine hero, uh, and not just because he made someone on a southwest flight happier. I mean, which is hard to do. <laughs> I
2: saw that's very good. I saw that story. And the kicker to the story was the flight ended. He like he didn't tell anybody who he was, and he just like, okay, good, you know, I'm, I'm glad and just like Seeking no attention or whatsoever just left. And it's only because somebody recognized him on the plane that got attention. Great. Yeah, I don't think too many NFL
1: players fly Southwest, to your point. So I guess he just tries to lay low.
4: Yeah, and even if he were flying first class or whatever, I don't think Southwest has a first class section. That's my point. He's sitting coach somewhere. It's not like he's Travis Kelsey or Patrick Mahomes. They wouldn't immediately Yeah, it kind of blends
1: in a little bit more. And then lastly, I also, uh, we hit on it briefly, very excited for the debut, the season debut uh, of Curb Your Enthusiasm, the final season. Uh, here you know, tomorrow night. Glenn, I had to play this for you, so again, making the media rounds. This is from the Today Show. Uh, Elmo, who had a viral tweet this week, which is a whole separate issue, but uh, Elmo was on the Today Show, and Larry David was not so patiently waiting for his turn to get on. Got a little impatient with how long Elmo, uh, and how much he was stealing the spotlight, so he decided to take matters into his own hands.
0: Oh, 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 my, God. oh my gosh! You love Elmo, don't you? Oh you, you? Stop! <laughs> before ask
10: permission <laughs> ask permission before you touch people Larry. <laughs> let's, let's,
0: let's get back on the couch let's talk about how you feel right, larry ben. you've gone too far this time <laughs> yes larry somebody, somebody had
4: to do it
1: somebody had to do it that is larry david uh justifying him beating up elmo uh,
4: I, I am team kermit and team grover all the way I am anti-Elmo. What did you like about Elmo? Just annoying after a while. It was cute at first when they introduced him years ago, and now he's just, he's jumped the shark. Anti-Elmo. Uh,
2: I don't know what to say. I'm a big Larry David fan, but I got to, you know.
4: You're siding with Elmo? Up, what, you're siding with Elmo Elf. here? can't beat up a Muppet. Why do you hate America? You can't
2: beat up, well, that's, <laughs> there you go. All right. Good stuff.
4: See, it's a red and blue divide. Like, you like Elmo, you're team red. I like Grover, I'm team blue. There we go.
1: Larry Larry. David just gets upset with many things. He doesn't discriminate, Muppets included. He can beat them up. I
4: hope
2: hope the season's good. I I do. I've heard bad things about it. I will be watching as you will be watching. Yes.
4: Uh, So thank you to this show. First to Dan Wilson, second to Glenn Mack. Now also, of course, to Anthony Sanfilippo and to Keith Pompei and to all of you for listening. Again, Go Birds Radio coming up. Oh, Ray, I almost forgot. Well, you know, you have to thank. He he just called in. Just apropos of Carl Weathers. Um, Go Birds Radio coming up. James and Elliot from Parks Casino. We will talk to you all later. Have a great day listening to WIP.
7: That's right it is go birds radio presented by the bet parks sportsbook and casino app coming to you from the beautiful sportsbook at parks casino we got big tvs comfy chairs sports to bet on and I got a beautiful Elliott Shore Park sitting right next to me. How you doing, buddy? What up, buddy? How you doing? I'm good, pal. How yeah. are you? Have you? So last week, buddy, pal. That's guys... what you know. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a big buddy, pal, you friend, brother, yes. guy. You're not um, my guy, buddy. <laughs> so you're yeah. not my friend, pal. Yeah. Um, a rare South Park reference, which for me. which is great. You know that's my favorite. It is, so anytime yeah. you do that, you're right in my wheelhouse. Uh, I think. I would say at least once a month about the story you told me about how you fell out of your seat laughing at the South Park movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah literally. Yeah, the yes. the, the wow. Uncle Bleeper right. song, when that came on, I literally felt uh, the tears streaming down my face. I, was I, I don't so think I could ever laugh that hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I believe that. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, all right, 215-592-9494. Last week, Elliot, uh, we're here. Um, you know at obviously it took like nine days to get to that press conference yeah, well it, it felt snowed. like the end of this it's yeah that was you're right good thank you Howie told us yeah. um you yeah, it felt like such a like a, is he getting fired is he not this whole thing and then the press conference and last week it felt like we were wrapping up the season this is the first time we're sitting here doing
0: listen to every mlb game live In
8: the deep left center field it is high
7: it is far it is gone.
0: Stream minor league affiliates
1: the midwest league home run leader